Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. See what I see up over Airport Hill. Do you see what I see? That's a heat haze. You don't see that very often, but that is a kind of a half hog up over the airport hill right now. That's a heat wave, heat haze. We're in for short, Scorchio today, let's. Scorchio. It'll be like Sunday, I think, again. Hopefully, anyway. Great. The longer this continues, the better Coogan's mood will be. 1850 715 996. Text to WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie. We're on Twitter at opinionline96. And of course, you can message us through Facebook as well, the Cork's 96FM Facebook page, and address your messages for the attention of the opinion line. Dr. Mike Ryan from the World Health Organization has been talking this morning about whether it's a second wave, whether it's a second spike, whether what it is. You can call it anything you like. Take the pressure off this virus, the virus will bounce back. He's not mincing his words, is he? You can call it anything you like. Take the pressure off this virus, the virus will bounce back. We've had a spike over the last few days. We know that we have three counties, Leash, Offaly and Kildare, are presently in a partial lockdown. We have a problem in meat processing. They're going to discuss that at a meeting of government ministers later. They're meeting via video link, incorporeal they call it. 57 more cases confirmed yesterday. We now have a higher incidence per 100,000 of the population as they have in the UK. Cork now, the 14 days up to today, has had 22 cases. In fact, the acting Chief Medical Officer, Dr Glynn, went through the cases last night in detail at their regular press conference. In the last 14 days, we've had 22 cases in Cork, 36 cases in Limerick, 34 cases in Clare, 21 cases in Wexford, 20 cases in Mead, 21 cases in Donegal, 14 cases in Cavan, and eight cases in each of Galway and Mayo. So this is not just about the three counties. Now, the story in the Irish Times this morning tells us that Ireland and other European countries experiencing resurgence in COVID-19 should consider reinstating selected restrictions. I'm assuming that is outside of the three counties like L.O.K., Leash, Offaly and Kildare. Are we headed for a second Wave. Dr. Tomas Ryan has been with us on the show before. He's the Assistant Professor of Neuroscience, Biochemistry and Immunology at Trinity College. Tomas, good morning. Good morning, how are you? Good, nice to talk to you again. Are we inevitably headed towards trouble if we take our eye off the ball even for a second? 
nothing is inevitable, but we are absolutely heading towards trouble if we become too relaxed about our behavior and if we don't have adequate containment measures in place. It's too early to tell are we in what you might call a second wave, but I think that the rise in cases, uh, the community transmission and the outbreaks in the Midlands are all cause for a lot of concern and I think we need to reevaluate everything about how we're approaching COVID-19 in Ireland. If for a second we were to take out those three counties, they used to call it in, in, in the bookies, betting without the favourite. If you were to take those three counties out of the equation, in terms of the rest of the country, how are we doing? The problem is that we're only probably aware, uh, even at the best of times, of about a third of the cases of SARS-CoV-2 floating around in the population. So we detected these outbreaks relatively early, um, but we didn't really contain them. There were other, it's possible there are other clusters around the country that we're not really aware of. And regarding these outbreaks in the Midlands, because our testing and tracing situation is not really as fast as we need it to be, it's probably leaked into the community. And the issue is, for the coming uh, couple of weeks, did these clusters in those three counties leak into the community only in those counties, in which case maybe the local lockdowns, the local red zones will keep it under control, or did they leak into the broader uh, country? But at the same time, to speak to your question, if you take away those three counties and you consider the rest of the country, cases are still on the rise and we still have community transmission uh, that we don't know the origin of, and we still have cases coming in from abroad that are not properly quarantining. So I think there's every reason still to be concerned. In terms of things like the mandatory wearing of face coverings in shops and shopping centres and buses and trains and all of that, we've had it in the shopping centres since yesterday, but there's still no statutory instrument to back it up unless it's in Irishirfigul when that's out today. Whereas as of today on the boulevards of Paris, the gendarmerie can take a hundred quid off you just for looking at you without, without a face mask. Do we need to get tougher? I think we do. I think there's been huge improvements on face mask usage in Ireland. Uh, we brought them in too late in the story. Uh, that's largely because of, of the lack of, of clear government direction. Um, I think that we, we don't need a gotcha culture, so we don't want people looking at each other. Um, we don't want any kind of community divisiveness. The way of doing that then is not to rely on the community, but to rely on the government. And I think having short, simple fines and rules um, to manage these things um, are, to way to, are the way to go. The same thing with pub reopening. You know, eventually we're going to reopen the pubs, hopefully, if we get this under control. Uh, but there must be clear regulations in place for, for publicans who break capacity or crowding rules that should be enacted within, within a day, not about their license being renewed, but, in the, but the next day they have to be shut down if they break the rules. So I think that the, the, these kind of things have to be clear, unambiguous guidelines uh, not relying just on people to, to self-police. In New Zealand, and we'll be talking about New Zealand in a little while, they've just marked 100 days without a community transmitted case, which is a remarkable achievement. I think one of the first in the world, if not the first to do it. Vietnam got to something like 97, 98 days, and then one man presented as a, as a new case. But they went down, they went hard. They went very hard at the start. We didn't go hard enough, do you think? 
No, I mean, New Zealand is, is, is an absolute model of how to deal with this. And my wife actually is from New Zealand and she's getting mighty smug about the whole thing still. <laughs> um, it's, it's impressive what they did, not just New Zealand, Taiwan, Iceland, Vietnam and other countries are, are getting there too. Um, we were nearly there. If we had persisted with our lockdown for a few weeks longer and made the decision to get to zero cases, we could have done it in June, July. Could but we, we just... But we didn't. But we we decided not to do it. Uh, we never had the plan to get to zero cases and to keep them there. And many of my colleagues and I think that we can still do this. We're not in the best position to do it, but we still have the opportunity to do it. We could do it in two to three months. And we have to we have to look at this. We have to decide what we want to do. A lot of voices in the media and a lot of voices in politics are telling us all that we need to live with this. But this is what living with the virus is. Living with the virus means local lockdowns, and it could be your county. It could mean a whole country lockdown if we lose control of it. And even if we don't have these lockdowns, living with the virus means social distancing, reduced capacity, uncertainty about economic activity, and, and always risk of sliding backwards for a year or two years or until we get a vaccine. And there is another way. We can make the choice to say we don't want to live with this. We can make the choice to say, well, we... We can't copy New Zealand exactly, because if we did, we would have had this sorted already. But we could achieve the same goal if we make the decision to do so and we put a plan in place. So, 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 we, so today, today is the 11th of, of August. Between now and, say, the 31st, what could we do to take us down that zero strategy? First thing is you need a decision from the top and you need the Taoiseach to come out and say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go for zero COVID. It's a two-step process. Uh, first, you need to achieve the elimination and then you need to maintain it. Ideally, it would be done on, a, on an all-island basis, which is very possible because the Northern Ireland Health Committee and Stormont have been endorsing a zero COVID strategy for a few weeks now as of Scotland. Then you put the measures in place and I think the way to do it is by a regionalized approach. We already have a regionalized approach now with red zones because the three counties in the Midlands are effectively red zones. Mm. But the other 23 counties, including Cork, are now orange zones. And so orange zones are not opened up, but they're not under lockdown. Under a green zone strategy, it would mean that any county or region Probably Cork would be divided into regions because it's a very big county. And if Cork City has an outbreak, it's not really fair to lock down northwest Cork. But in the regions that we define in the country, if you don't have community transmission for two weeks, then you're a green zone. Currently, Waterford, Carlow and Roscommon are green zones. And in a green zone, you should be able to do everything at 100% capacity, like you're in New Zealand. And then you would have orange zones for cases that are for counties that are managing their cases, as most of the country is kind of right now. And then red zones are under lockdown. And you would have limited travel between these zones. And this process would go on for a few months. And you would have aggressive testing to kind of root out the virus from isolated corners of the country and eventually move towards uh, the, a situation where the whole island would be a green zone. And then after that, it's all about proper travel restrictions. You mentioned Cork as being a place you could divide into a number of zones, particularly because of the size of the county. But that brings a kind of a nightmare scenario, Dr. Ryan, where technically I can't go beyond Bandon. 
Right. So a lot of people are unhappy with the current, uh, in the Midlands, with the current county situation because there are people in East Kildare who really see themselves as part of the greater Dublin area and are further away from where the clusters originated than some people over the western borders and so on. Um, the, the reason we're doing it by counties now is because everyone knows what a county is. Um, and there's no misunderstandings about what we mean when we say we're putting restrictions on a county. But it's not going to work for bigger counties. I mean, to be fair with bigger counties, it would make sense to cut them up into smaller zones. And indeed, legislation that was passed in March allows the government to do so. Um, I think that it's never going to be perfect. You're always going to have issues at border zones. And, you know, we just have to manage it as best we can. In terms of testing, um, you've been critical, I think, of, of our level of testing. Yes, I mean, our level of testing has never been ideal. Um, I mean, I think in, in June and July, we were doing enough testing, but it was always too slow. Our testing has been too slow since the beginning. It's sped up significantly because it's taking a few days when it used to take a few weeks at the beginning, back in March. But it's still not fast enough to capture asymptomatic spread. So if you get COVID-19 symptoms, it means you've been spreading the virus for two days before you had the symptoms. So we have to then identify all the people that you spread it to, but it's a 72 hour window before they start spreading it to other people. So we need to, we have 72 hours for you to have symptoms, report symptoms, be sampled, be tested, your contacts identified and your contacts isolated. And currently that's taking longer than three days. And so this is a big problem and it's why we're very worried that the clusters that uh, emerged in the Midlands may have already leaked into the community and spread throughout the country. So testing is an issue, but also I'm worried about the numbers of testing because right now we don't seem to be doing enough testing. So it's not just about speed. I don't feel like we have a good uh, coverage of the population. Our positivity rate is too high and we're probably not seeing all of the cases that are going around in the community. So at the moment, I think that we need to be very cautious and that means mask wearing, social distancing, hand hygiene, and we need to see how the next couple of weeks plays out. If we get control over these outbreaks, um, which hopefully we do have, then the big question is how do we reopen schools safely? Yeah. Because the fact is that children do spread this virus and um, we need to be prepared to deal with this. But in the big picture, I think that we need to have a serious conversation about whether we want to actually live with this virus or not, because I think that when you talk to most people, when you really present people with the options of thinking about what Christmas is going to be like, thinking about what winter is going to be like, do you want to be living in a socially distanced world or a socially distanced world with lockdowns, which is what's going to be, which, which will happen if we fail yeah. to properly suppress it, or do you want to imagine moving into a Christmas season where everything is open 100%, uh, where we've achieved a situation similar to New Zealand. We can still do that if we make the choice to do that. Okay, because one, one of your many colleagues in, in academia and, and uh, immunology, I can't recall who, uh, forgive me, said recently that the, the, it's grand now, I'm looking out here at a glorious August morning, and, and that weather will continue hopefully until the mid, the end of September, it'll be nice and pleasant. Then we go into the winter months and we'll be indoors more and we'll have heating on and it'll be cold and wet and, and nasty outside. So when, you, when we can be outdoors, social distancing is easy. When we're all indoors, it's less so. Exactly. Winter is going to present a lot of problems. 
I don't see people socially distancing enough outside of shops right now anyway. Uh, the one meter rule seems to have gone. A lot of people are not wearing masks enough still. Uh, you can imagine that in winter, people queuing outside is also going to be a problem in shops, restaurants, in pubs when they open. In schools, um, when you have crowded places, people talking loudly, the humidity is not going to help. And of course, it's going to overlap with flu season. Flu season presents problems, not just because of the pressure on the healthcare system, but because uh, flu symptoms and COVID-19 symptoms are very similar. And we have to be testing both of them with the assumption that they're COVID-19, which obviously is going to put increased pressure on our testing and contact tracing situation. So... You can see how if we were to achieve elimination, then the only thing we have to worry about is our borders. If we don't have elimination, when we choose to live with the virus, it's essentially like living with a fire and burning in your house and you're always trying to keep it down. Finally, I take from what you said to me a moment or two ago, early, earlier in the year, people were saying, can we save the summer? Uh, we kind of half saved the summer. I think, Dr. Ryan, you're saying to me now, if we want to save Christmas and New Year we need and save lives with it, we need to cop on and cop on quickly. Well, we have saved the summer, you're right. And it's really been wonderful that domestic tourism has compensated in most parts of the country for a lack of international tourism into Ireland. Although if you speak to hoteliers and restauranteurs in central Dublin, they haven't had the same experience. If we had eliminated the virus by the end of May, we would have had a summer with full domestic tourism, but also full capacity in bars and restaurants throughout the country for the entire summer, which would have been better. Um, And now we need to look at what is the winter we want to live in and beyond that. Okay. All right. Listen, thank you for your time uh, this morning. That's Dr. Tomas Ryan uh, from Trinity College in Dublin. 1850-715-996. I mentioned New Zealand uh, and they have had a very significant milestone in the last few days. Uh, Now, back in June, uh, their prime minister, probably one of the most popular politicians, I think, in the world, a woman who, bear in mind, back in 2017, she was unknown when she became leader of her party. No one knew, who is this Jacinta Ardern anyway? Now, in 2020, she's one of the best-known politicians on the planet. This was her back in June, announcing a significant breakthrough with COVID in New Zealand. Today, there are no active cases in New Zealand. We have had no one in hospital for COVID-19 for 12 days. It's been 40 days since the last case of community transmission, 22 days since that person finished their self-isolation. We move down to COVID-19 alert level one from midnight tonight. We are not immune to what is happening in the rest of the world. But unlike the rest of the world, not only have we protected New Zealanders' health, we now have a head start on our economic recovery. I... I did a little dance. That, that was her giving a press conference in June. A hundred days on, they're still down at zero community transmission. Back in the year, I spoke to a man who just got out of New Zealand on time. He, he literally fled the place as it was locking down because he would no accommodation left or nothing. He was home in Riverstick. He's still there. I'll talk to him next. Due to COVID-19, the big summer concerts... 
are all off, but the biggest stars will still play this summer. One, two, three. The Backgarden Festival. It's a new online station that plays non-stop festival hits from the ultimate superstar lineup. Round the clock every day. The Backgarden Festival with Harvey Norman, your specialist in sound this summer. Get all the lowdown and listen live on the Cork's 96FM app or go to 96FM.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 795 On Cork's 96FM. When this all started going down, I was working as a pool lifeguard and I was living in the town three hours south of Auckland right. in a town called Tekawiti. So um, the plan was that I was going to work up to the 19th of April and then get my flight. And then the New Zealand government, uh, Jacinta Ardern, she announced a lockdown. I had been told that I could stay in my accommodation um, until the 19th of April. So this is on the Monday evening now that I, right, could, okay. ho- that I could stay in my accommodation and then I could leave. Uh, on the 19th. So that was my plan. I was going to lock down in the town of Tekuiti in the lodge. That was all fine. Uh, But unfortunately for me, on the next day, I got a phone call from my boss um, that we had to leave the accommodation. Why did they need you to leave then? Was it to do with the lockdown? It was to do with the lockdown, yeah. Will you go back when it's all sorted? Oh, can't wait. Can't wait. And count down the days. You're still here, Eric. <laughs> morning, PJ. Morning, everybody. The, the memories came flowing back there listening to that. Uh, that that's very... you talking to me. That was the 1st of April. Correct. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, yeah. Very stressful times. Uh, I, was, um, I was a week in lockdown in New Zealand, uh, and then I got out of there on the, the Sunday. Yeah. Uh, very, one, very... Um, one of the last flights out of the place. So, obviously, you're, you're, you're still in touch. Any, any sign of getting back anytime soon? Um, so the, the answer to that is no, no. Um, the, the borders are, are still closed. They're going to be shut uh, indefinitely. I've uh, I've been liaising with people over in New Zealand at the moment. Um, my friend up in Auckland is Paddy Finn. Uh, I text him. He's he's doing well. Uh, they're back to normal. Uh, social distancing, face mask. That's all a thing of the past. And then. Um, I got on to my friend Chris, and he's from Dunedin, down in the South Island, and it's the same down there. Uh, it's all behind them. Uh, no social distancing, no face masks. Um, of course, had I known now what I knew then, you know, would I have made a different decision to try and stick it out there? But, um, you know, at the time in New Zealand, there was so much uncertainty. Uh, you know, we, we really, uh, us as you know, people who are kind of wondering whether to stick or twist, whether to come home uh, in the middle of a pandemic or to, you know, stay in New Zealand and stick it out. Um, with, with the information I had at the time, um, it, it was the, op- the I had to, to come home and yeah. I got, as you said, one of the, the last flights out of there. So, yeah, I definitely roll back a few memories there. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I'm just looking at the statistics. These are dated uh, Sunday. Uh, they did 1,200 confirmed cases, admittedly, but just 21 active infections, all presently isolated and in managed isolation, and they had no community transmission 
in 100 days. There are 5 million people, there are 22 deaths in total. How do they do it, Eric? That's, um, well, like, firstly, when I was, so I was in lockdown there for a week, one thing I noticed that there was a very high level of compliance. And what I mean by that is people were accountable to each other, as in, like, the, the best example I have is that when I, the day before I left, I was going for a walk and all the playgrounds are all taped up. Um, you know, don't use these playgrounds to prevent the spread of COVID-19. And there were people in gathered in the playgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I walked by and then I turned around to find that there was actually someone had come up and I, to tell these guys, look, sorry, you have to move. And it wasn't a policeman. It was just an ordinary member of the public. So oh, really? they were accountable to them to themselves, even walking down the footpath. Um, you, you'd have to like you'd have to like go two meters apart if you went into a shop and you weren't wearing a face mask. Um, if a member of staff hadn't already come up to you, a member of the public would have come up to you and said, "Sorry, please wear a face mask." Um, that there was a, a very high level of compliance regarding social distancing, face masks in New Zealand. They're very law-abiding citizens. There, you know. They, they they took it really seriously from what I could see, from what I could gather from the week I was there. Now compare that, and you were in there for a week, compare that, Eric, to what you see here at home in Cork day to day. Well... <laughs> Don't spare the horses now, lad. <laughs> I'm trying to be I'm as, as less kind of controversial as I can, but... Um, look, you know, the majority of the people are wearing face masks, and, and that's great to see. But but not everyone is, and it's it's um, very it's it's kind of like two different worlds, honestly. Uh, PJ, like in I, I'm just kind of my mind is always kind of thinking back to when I don't see anyone with a face mask here in Ireland. I'm thinking in New Zealand, you know, two or three people would have gone up to that person, and and, and not in a in a confrontational way, just you know, more of a. Hmm. Oy, these mate, are the rules, you know. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So it, it wasn't confrontational, and I always found with now, of course, I'm, I'm it, I am generalising, but the, the Kiwis they they're quite approachable people. I found mm. from the, the the time I was there um, that I could always approach um, a Kiwi person and you know say X Y Z, and um, but yeah, and, and people aren't wearing face masks here. They you know they walk into the shop, do their shopping pay and leave without wearing a face mask um, you, you know perhaps just a, a different aspect, I, I'm not sure what it is but uh, that, that was one thing really that it, it re- and, and people kept their bubble small and as Jacinda said there uh, you know 100 days without you know 100 days without transmission, uh, you, you can, I believe it absolutely, they're yeah. a high compliance country and um, it's standing to them as you know my friends over in New Zealand they're They've got their life back, type of thing. Now they've got their life back, but they are effectively sealed off to the world, Eric. You yeah. can't go back anytime soon. And if if someone had to go back, can they go back? Um. So no, I think if if you look on the website, there are exemptions, and like if you're a New Zealand citizen, if you're a resident, 
And even if you do go back, you still have to quarantine for, for 14 days. They basically, they've and, got to a point. And they'll put you into quarantine. You don't just tell them, I'll be at such and such an address. They'll put you into car. Into Correct. Car. Correct. Yes. Uh, and y- y- exactly, you know, and they, they won't, the, you know, that we have to fill out a form or something like that. And it's them in New Zealand. It's right. We'll put you into quarantine and... and um, There's a heavy cost involved as well. I think it's something like $3,000 for the process. Yeah, and, and actually and, and actually, kind of just jumping, kind of jumping back to what I was saying, that saying that they're accountable to each other. During lockdown, if you were having um, a, so a gathering, um, flaunting the rules, let, let's put it that way, if you were doing that in New Zealand and the police caught you, then they would have come down on you like a ton of bricks, especially during lockdown. It was um, they, they took it really seriously. There, they were in a national state of emergency, and it, nobody flaunted the rules. You know, social gatherings during lockdown wasn't the thing there because if you got caught, the penalties, the consequences were very, very severe as as they are now. Yeah. Um, if you go in there, so. Um, Colin wants to know. Eric, do they do they, do they disinfect the streets or fumigate places in New Zealand? Because the streets of Cork are are as dirty as they've always been, according to this caller. Probably have all kinds of disease. Was there fumigation? Was there disinfection of streets? Um, so, what there was is that go go. I'm not too sure about the the streets. I'll be honest. I'm not a hundred percent about that. Sure. I do know that in shopping centres that your your name and uh, my name was taken, my number and my address, that was for contact tracing. But all, but all the, the surfaces, they were all sprayed down. And even if there was queues going all the way down the street, they're very particular um, about cleansingness in shops. That, that, that actually just came back to me now, just as you said it. Uh, you know, queues were quite long and um, cleaning the, the shops, all the surface tops, well, they'd, um, they'd clear the shop out to clean it, like? Yes, yeah, they, as in they'd keep people outside. They'd Crazy. limit numbers. Uh, big, you know, there's lots of, um, like, long queues outside. All yeah. the, the queue two metres apart was made, made it look even longer. And it, it wasn't as though they were under pressure to try and get people in and out. You know, they'd make people wait outside and go through the full protocol, yeah. uh, as it were. Yeah. Um, you know... It, very particular, but it's um, it, it's standing to them. It seems to have, it seems to have it seems to have stood to them and seems to have yes. helped them to achieve it. All right, listen, Eric, I'm going to leave it there with you. Um, okay. I, I, I thought by now, hopefully, you'd have been in a position to go back, but you've kind of I, have no. you given up on it for the rest of the year? Do you think? Um, oh yeah, yeah, I I have I have. Um, it, it's a shame, but um, you know. The, the set of you know, if I had my time again, I, I probably would have done the same again because there was, was just so much uncertainty. Okay. But in, in terms of going back, um, def, out, out of the picture, out of the picture, there. Okay. They're doing they're doing well over there, and uh, sure. Lessons, you know, bless the God, and good luck to them, <laughs> Eric. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, PJ. Take care now. Bye, everyone. That's Eric Carter. He was a lifeguard in a place called Tekawiti back in March, uh, and he ran out of it to get home. And he won't be going back anytime soon because they've locked... They are effectively still in a kind of lockdown in, in New Zealand in that life has gone back to normal there in all the normal ways it would. But the country is locked down through its borders. David on WhatsApp says New Zealand is not a viable example. They're in the middle of the Pacific with very little traffic. 
to do what the doctor, referring to Dr. Ryan, said, we have to shut down our borders, which we can't do. And we can't, we, we couldn't possibly do the kind of shutdown New Zealand have done. But there are those who'd argue we could get a bit tougher. Uh, another text. Someone's been sending a fleet of texts in about uh, Dr. Mike Ryan. You can call it anything you like. Take the pressure off this virus. The virus will bounce back. Says it wasn't politicians. It was medic so-called experts who weren't agreed on masks. I saw them on TV. The same texter has about five or six other texts basically saying that Dr. Ryan is scaremongering. Can I suggest that you, before you accuse him of scaremongering, you get his name right? It's not Tom. 1850-715-996. I mentioned it early on in Paris from today. You got to wear a mask in the boulevards, in the streets, and the gendarmerie are particularly out to patrol. They've set up patrols like mask patrols. Patrol de mask, whatever you call it. I'm making it up. The name of it. But they're watching and there are 140 euro fines in the streets of Paris today if you don't wear your mask. Whereas we, (laughs) we don't even have the flippin' statutory instrument written up yet. 1857 All right, coming up, some, we'll come back to this, I promise, but something completely different. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. Independence Museum Kilmurray will be hosting the Revel Rally Car Run on Sunday, the 16th of August. Registration is at 10 a.m. and departing at 12 noon. This event is open to all cars and will be visiting Crossbarry and Dripsy Ambush sites with talks on the day by Sean Crowley and Mary O'Mahony. For more Info, check out the Independence Museum Kilmurray's Facebook page. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. So, Megan, good morning. Hi, PJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi. When did you and Steve first meet and where? Uh, we first met in 2007. Um, it was in Florence, Italy. And it was just a coincidental meeting? It was, yeah. We just happened to stay in the same hostel. Right. And and there was a spark there from day one, was there? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I think um, we kind of meant to, you know, hang out with the hostel group that was doing a bit of a night out. And instead, we kind of wound up just chatting to each other, stayed in the same pub the whole night. Yeah. Now, now Steve was supposed to leave Florence the next day and move on, but, but he stayed He stayed for a while and he went sightseeing. And then you broke up. Did you think at the time when you broke up the train station that you'd ever see each other again or had you already been making plans? Um, I think we were, you know, we were hopeful for it, but... Uh, it was. It felt like quite a long shot, given that I was living in the states. He was living in Ireland, and you know, we were young. We didn't have quite as much autonomy as we would have liked to. Yeah. Then you met again in 2016. So that was what nine years later. Uh, yeah, it was about eight and a half years later. Yeah. And had you not met in between, no? No, we would just you know occasionally chat on Facebook and. Um, you know, we kind of would notice the highlights of each other's lives at the time, but and just 
wish each other well here and there, but uh, no, we hadn't seen each other in person. And you came, you came to visit Ireland in 2016 and, and, and you looked him up. Um, well, I had actually, I was coming with a friend and I, um, I knew Steve was from Ennis. And so I had actually sold my friend on, oh, yes, there's this great, great town we need to go see, Ennis. You know, I've heard such great things about it. <laughs> and so we had Ennis on the itinerary. Had your friend Steve, any notion about Steve, nor did you know anything about him? Uh, I think I said, oh, you know, somebody I met in Italy lives there. You know, maybe we'll run into him or something. And uh, my friend was perfectly fine with that. But, um, but yeah, I happened to speak to Steve the month before we came over and... Um, and he wished me a happy birthday. I said, hey, I'll be in Ennis next month. He said, oh, I don't live there. Will you be in Cork? And so <laughs> uh, luckily we had Cork on the itinerary already. It worked out. And you got married the other day here in we Cork. On Thursday, yeah. Brilliant. In the, in, in the Triscoll. So th- that's, the spark was still there in 2016. Uh, my friend jokes that it's, you know, I... I he saw my face when Steve walked through the door and he said, oh, he's here, is he? And I said, yep, he, he just walked in. He goes, well, I know you're nervous. How do you think it'll be? And I said, it's going to be just fine. It's going to be just fine. All right. Is he there with you? He is, yeah. I am, yeah. Hey, Steve, how are you, mate? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? Congratulations. Thank you very much. A long time from meeting in a, a hostel in, in Florence to getting married in the Triscoll, including not seeing each other for eight and a half years. That's 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 and then and then living the rest of it at what five and a half thousand mil, miles separated. It was uh, yeah, it was it was it was a I'm not, we we could have chosen the easy route at any time, but I think we we kind of stuck it out. When did you realize either of you that this was for permanency? This was for good. I think. I don't know. I mean, in Florence, we kind of I, both of us will tell you we've we've talked to people. As my brother said, when uh, during during the speeches, you know, Megan had been a, a, a part of the family's conversation for a lot longer than maybe she recognised. <laughs> but I think that when we got back together in Cork, it kind of it kind of felt right, and we had uh, we we have this this thing where we do a lot of road trips. So when I first like say we met in Cork. And then she told me she was in Dublin the next weekend. I went up to Dublin. And then within a month, I was in L.A. And we did a road trip. We did PCH. So we drove, was it, 15, 1,600 miles. Yeah, we drove from Los Angeles up to Portland, Oregon. Yeah, it's the Pacific Coast Highway. And uh, just, I, I guess, anyone who's traveled a lot with another person will tell you, you get to know, the, you get to know them. And over, what, it was about 20-odd hours, I think, we were driving for. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, I think... If, if, if when we talk about it, I think that was the point where I decided, you know what, this will do. The, the the date of the wedding, when was that set? Because obviously the, the arrangements had to be tempered with the with the conditions of the day. When did you decide to to set the wedding? When when did you make? Yeah, that? we um we had planned to get married on August thirteenth for ages. We had invitations printed, and we you know everybody there was a lot of flights already booked coming over from America and what have you. Um, and then we, in about late April, early May, you know, with the way things were looking, we just had to make the call to cancel everything altogether. And the Triscoll was at that point, had no plans to reopen. And we really were kind of out of options. And so 
we did cancel the wedding altogether. And then um, the Trisco was really wonderful. As soon as, you know, the roadmap to reopening happened and they got permission, uh, they were on to us right away and just wanting to do whatever they could to to make it work for us. Mm. Um, you weren't obviously able to have the guests, many of the guests you'd love to have. So so how did you get around that? No, um, my family, you know, nobody from the States was able to, to attend. Um, and it just wouldn't have been safe for that. And, you know, with the lockdown require the sorry, the isolation requirements, it wasn't really realistic for anyone. Um, but we were able to have kind of a, about 14, 15 people at the ceremony um, from Steve's side primarily. But luckily, you know, his friends have been quite welcoming. And so I had I've got to feel like I had friends there too. It wasn't like me yeah. in a room of strangers or anything. It was, and, and of course, it was with the Triscoll being a cinema and having all the technology in place, they were able to stream it. We did that actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did that on um, on our cell phones and you know, friends who lent us tripods and uh, and. We, we, had, we have one friend, Jack Ewing, he was diligently uh, monitoring all the cameras and making sure that everybody in America had a, he, had, he actually, uh, unbeknownst to us, he had a running conversation with them on the phone. Yeah, he, so he, he, he took it very seriously. Well. <laughs> very seriously. It's a, it's a magnificent venue. Uh, did, did you know, had you ever been there, Megan? Uh, I was able to see it just one, I mean, I had seen it online and Steve had sent me videos, you know, when he did the initial tour um, and we chose the venue. Um, When I came over, we'd had a a kind of a tour planned, but then of course got canceled because of everything. Um, But yeah, we were able to sneak in a a preview for me um, once the restrictions were lifted a bit. So I was able to see it before the big day. Right. Yeah, right. I mean, we had it booked. She, she had. We had basically booked it with her only ever having seen photographs, and then Jillian was good enough to sneak us in the back door. Wow! Just to, just to help us out. Uh, she's great down there, is Jillian and, and all the crew. Well, congratulations to you both. Still trying to figure out where and when there'll be a honeymoon. I think. Yeah, we're still sorting that out, <laughs> but we'll we'll figure something out. I'm sure. All right. Listen. Congratulations to you both. That's Steve Barry and Megan Lemesura Barry. Met in Florence, didn't see each other for eight and a half years until she came back to Ireland and married the other day in the Triscoll. That's a grand little story for the middle of a pandemic into 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Dennis was on to us um, with regard to the COVID-19 uh, tracker app. He said, it seems to be sorted out. I reinstalled it yesterday. My battery is back to normal usage. Thanks for that, Dennis. On masks, D, is that RD? Was in Aldi yesterday evening. Few people came in not wearing them. Really surprising. I actually haven't been in a shop other than, I think, yesterday morning early. I was in Tesco for all of, all of about three minutes. I haven't been in one to see if there's a level of mask wearing. But I think Fergal... Uh, did a little bit of a survey yesterday. He was in town and he went into a shop. Uh, one of the well-known stores might have been Dunn's and he did the head count from behind his own mask and he reckoned that maybe 90% of people were complying. So, so hopefully they are. You know, for the sake of safety, for safety's sake, whatever you think about the scientists and whatever you think about, you know, is who's right and who's wrong, who's this and who's that, for safety's sake, we put on the damned mask 
Yeah, nearly 100% Fergal said he was when he was in Dunn's, but in a, in a smaller shop nearby, not great, maybe three out of ten. Kevin was on Twitter, uh, how many cases have been caused by house parties? It's a nice distraction from employers in processing plants. Wonder why this notion about house parties has been given such prominence. As long as people have downloaded the app, tracing is much easier. 1.5 million have. No, Kevin, in fairness, experts have said that large gatherings like house parties are a risk. Perhaps not as big a risk as a couple of hundred people working in close quarters in a meat factory. We can't shut down the meat industry, but we could stop having 40, 50 people at a house party. It's much easier to, to cut down on one than, than on the other. But your point is valid. It's a bit of a distraction sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email for the show is opinion at 96fm.ie. Twitter is at OpinionLine96 with the hashtag, hashtag OL96. And of course, contact us through Facebook if you want. The Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Send us a message and address it to the attention of the Opinion Line. Now, there was a protest. Was it a protest or was it a demonstration of what was it? A gathering of people, I guess, in support of the legalisation or the modernisation of the law on cannabis. Martin and Jim uh, were both there. Martin, good morning. T- tell me where this happened and when. This happened, uh, PJ, down below on outside the Fitzgerald Skate Park. Nice big green area there. Um, it's a change of location from our usual choice, which is Bishop Lucy Park. Right. And we, we made a change of location so we could uh, adhere to the social distancing guidelines. When, when was it on and how many people were there? It was on Saturday. Uh, it began at 2 o'clock and um, it was going to run until kind of five or six that way and um, yeah there, there was uh, less than 200 people there we, we weren't in breach of the, the guidelines as um, as the Gardaí said on the day mm. but um, yeah and, and what I mean is this this is the Cork Cannabis Community is is this people who, who gather to, to smoke a joint like well the, the emphasis of the day was uh, for the community to come out and break the stigma and every day each and every one of us who consume cannabis do so um, kind of on our own, and if we were to get caught by the Gardaí, um, that's a very scary process to go through on your own. So the aim of the day is to, to get us all out, uh, to help break the stigma, break the barriers down, and um, try to reduce the fear that uh, people have. Like, cause a lot of people suppress uh, who they are, and they don't share that they consume cannabis out of fear. I had a lot of people who had uh, commended me for holding the event, but said they couldn't come down because they, would, they, they might get fired from their job if they were associated with this. Now, and that's not fair because that, that, that's a broken part of our democracy. If people are fair of being targeted for expressing their opinions in a democracy, then, then our democracy is broken. Maybe, maybe, but I suppose it is still, until such time as it's not, it is still a banned substance. And it is, and, and so was the act of uh, kissing another man, DJ. That was once a banned act. Oh yeah, I know, no, no, I get that, I get that. But don't, don't let the laws define your morals, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, Jim Weathers was also there. Stay there, Martin. Jim from Puffin yep. Stuff, great name for a shop uh, in, in y'all. Jim, good morning. Good morning, thank you. you. You were there as well. I was, yes. Yeah, so when the guards arrived, what was their priority? Did, did they talk, did they ask people what, what they were smoking? And even though it probably well, fairly obvious it was. Well, to be, this is a, an interesting question. So if we look at the events that took place, so, you know, prior to the event taking place at approximately 2 o'clock, um, there were guards that were uh, in plain clothes stopping and searching people as they were coming towards the park. 
So they were well aware of the situation um, throughout the day. And then approximately quarter till five or so, um, an individual, I guess, came over. That's a, a neighbor uh, living across the street and was addressing concerns about overcrowding um, and, and, I guess, some noise. So they uh, said that they were going to call the guards. And then within a few minutes, we had six vehicles pull up, armed guards, um, and that caused a mass um, hysteria. Um, they, six they, guard the vehicles? So, yes, six guard of vehicles. There was approximately 15 or so guards, three of them armed. So that created havoc. Um, people were frightened. Hang on. The armed support unit went there, like? Yes, and also undercovers that were carrying guns as well. So it wasn't just the armed response, there were undercovers as well. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Because uh, we did hear about this. Uh, there was activity. Uh, we've obviously chat groups for work and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And there was people, like, Where, what's all this Garda activity doing uh, up there? No one seemed to know why, but a lot of it going on. But they sent the flipping armed response units to this. Yep. Which makes no sense, I mean, because there was absolutely no disturbance whatsoever. We were well within the guidelines that the government has set out for any type of gatherings. So we weren't breaking anything. Social distancing was taking place. There's numerous videos um, on social media where you can see um, the event taking place and the social distancing that was happening. And you can count roughly how many people were there. It was about 120. So nowhere near what the guidelines were. And it's a bit ironic that there was other things going on throughout the city that had much larger crowds, and obviously there was no concerns there. Yeah. There was no armed guards arresting them or, or, or you know, um, um, targeting them. Yeah, Martin, did anybody get their collar felt, as it were, for actually having cannabis in their possession? At the moment, uh, PJ, I can't confirm or deny whether somebody has or not. Uh, if they have, uh, they haven't made them. For your own observation, no. did you see any? Um, from our own observation, no. The, the Gardaí showed up uh, just merely to intimidate, really. It was their presence. Uh, they just wanted it felt and they wanted the crowd to disperse. And, and tell uh, me, I can't see from the picture that's in front of me here, which is from the Puff and Stuff Instagram, that's the picture I'm looking at. Like, there were no actual signs to say what you were at. You were just gathered. Yeah, that was it. It was just a gathering for the community and it was more about just um, trying to help the community to, to grow and build and to, to stand on its own two feet, really. Um, you know, that there wasn't any merch or anything associated with it. If you were there, you knew what you were there for. Right. Right. And and were people, did they bring their own or were people selling it there? No, that that was the emphasis of the day. It was, it was to bring your own. Um, we, we weren't going to encourage people to be bringing stuff to sell at all. Um, it was to, to bring your own. Um, we, we didn't actually tell people to bring your own, but these kind of things, I suppose, go without saying. Um, I, I was making an effort to, to try to make people, tell people to bring their own because just as what, what you just said there, I didn't want anybody to be misconstruing what we were doing as if we were bringing a lot of people down to a field to sell them cannabis. That was not the intention of the day. The intention of the day was to bring people down who already consume cannabis and to bring their cannabis down and consume it in the, in the crowd of like-minded people. Mm. How, how frequently would you have an event? I know you normally go, I think, is it to Bishop Lucy Park? We normally go to Bishop Lucy Park, but um, the, just because of the response from our government over the last couple of years, PJ, like you, you've covered the story with Vera Toomey and all of the other medical cannabis patients we had a couple of medical cannabis patients down at the event uh, the other day, and 
every, everybody's sick of what mm. the government are doing. Like, uh, why yeah, are they sorry, dragging Martin, their... We, and we have discussed this before, because you, you ran for yeah. election in Cork North Central. Like, do, did, do, yeah. do you see no distinction between the availability of CBD, which have free, which, and that's quite freely and legally available, I've used it myself, the availability of medicinal THC and the actual medic, the, the weed itself, for want of a better term. Like, do you see no distinction between any of that? Oh, well, I, I do see the distinction. I, I would see, say, CBD being the equivalent of, let's say, alcohol-free beer, you know. Um, that, that would be there. But, um, again, there's varying levels of, <clears throat> of that then as well. You know, so when you're a cannabis consumer at the moment, you don't have a choice as to what you're consuming. You have very little choice. Yeah. Uh, if you're buying CBD products, if, you're, if they're Irish-grown, People have been misled. They're being relabeled as something else, but it's only one of the 64 varieties that are allowed to be grown in Ireland. That's, so people are a very that's, poor huge, that's a huge industry in, in itself. But Jim, <laughs> just come back, come back to you. At, I, I was very surprised to see the an armed support unit going along to this. Uh, oh, yeah, I mean, there was absolutely no need for that. You know, I mean, there was no disruption prior, so there was nothing to you know warrant uh, that type of um, of force. Yeah, it seems it seems daft. It certainly seems daft. Listen, I'll leave it there for you now, guys. Uh, Martin Condon and Jim Weathers from the Cork Cannabis Community. Jim has the Puffin Stuff shop uh, in in East Cork. Message says, I attended, thanks lads, I attended the cannabis event on Saturday, had a fab time. I felt very safe up until the guards arrived with their tactics to scare people and there was no need for it. Stop treating people like criminals and go and actually try and arrest some real bad guys. Conversation needs to be had about cannabis reform. It would benefit so many people and massively help our economy, especially under the current circumstances. Will Ireland always be stuck in the 1950s? Uh, I'm guessing, says Kevin, they couldn't care less about the users, but were more interested in the dealers who fuel the industry. These dealers aren't exactly warm, cuddly hippie types. It should be legal, by the way, but not, but while it's not, it's run by dangerous, murderous gangs. And while it's illegal, they're supporting the likes of the Kinahan Hutch groups and supporting the murder and mayhem that goes with it, says Frank. Uh, yeah, I was in attendance. Gardaí response, sending in vehicles with guns, was completely unnecessary and caused panic, endangering all in attendance. People should be outraged at this and outraged that cannabis patients are suffering here during a pandemic without their medicine. Cannabis prohibition uh, harms everyone, our society, our economy, our children. It wastes the time. Cannabis dispensaries have been declared an essential business in the US. Ireland needs to step up. And look, to be fair, a lot of the people who went to that little event on Saturday afternoon, do a little bit of research, you'll find out most of them were just people who grow their own, smoke their own, and have little or no interest. In fact, they have no interest at all in any kind of criminal fraternity. Frank's point is a valid one with regard to the illegal drug trade, drug trade supporting the Kinnahans, the Hutches and all the other scumbags that are out there making money from people's misery and death. But but if you grow your own, growing your own dope in your own back garden doesn't make you a Kinnahan Hutch link at all. It's just a very strange one. Like, regardless of how you feel about the legalisation of cannabis, we've discussed it ad nauseum on the show and I don't plan to go there again today regardless of how you feel about it or medicinal or recreational or call it what you will regardless of how you um, look at it like the armed response unit six guards of vehicles like 
I'm going to put this in context. During the heart of the lockdown, when we were all supposed to be staying at home, there was some lovely weather, if you'll remember. And on one occasion, a quick head count of maybe 50 to 100 people partying and having their picnics with their beer cans down around the lock of an afternoon. Music playing loudly at a time when we were all supposed to stay at home. Do you remember the parties in the wooded areas with young people? Now, guards did break some of them up. If you went up to Bell's Field of a warm evening during lockdown, there could be dozens of people there. There was no six guard cars breaking that up, even though it was in the middle of a lockdown. We're all supposed to stay at home. But rolling out joint in the middle of a Saturday afternoon... And there they are with their guns. 1850 It's time to vote in the Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Go to 96FM.ie, check out the shortlist for all the categories, and vote for your favourite. The Cork's 96FM Best of Cork Awards. Only on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. I'd probably get in trouble for saying that. I'm just wondering, was it appropriate? Was it an, was it an over-response? The armed response unit for... For fellas smoking dope of a Saturday afternoon and not out to hurt anybody. 1850 715 Councillor Fiona Ryan, good morning to you. Good morning. You've described yourself as one of the locked out generation. Uh, that You say you can't qualify for a mortgage despite never missing or being late with a rent payment. So, so why can't you get a mortgage, Fiona? Well, uh, PJ, my story is, I mean, uh, I this originally story blew up when I just calculated how much rent I paid over the past 11 years, just as a little bit of a, a thought exercise, you know. Um, I wasn't really out to make any particular point except that, you know, isn't this outrageous? But it really tapped into, I think, a deep anger and a reality that so many, pretty much every renter in Ireland is, is enduring at the moment. Um so basically, the the many when we talk about the mortgage uh, situation and the housing crisis and how renters are trapped, we overfocus somewhat on a deposit. But it's, the deposit is really only the first uh, step that is necessary towards getting a mortgage. There's many many other rules that add up that actually act as a barrier. Even if you have a perfect you know uh, track record. Uh, in keeping a roof over your head and paying your rent and most of the time that rent is a mortgage and then some. Mm. Um, so one of the big issues would be that you can only borrow 3.5% or 3.5 times your annual income. Um, now with the complete crisis in the Irish housing market uh, in terms of uh, in terms of price, that basically excludes anyone with a lower or average income. Uh, even though by being trapped in the housing market, they're paying on average twelve, thirteen hundred euro a month. You know. Mm. Um, on did top you, of that, how, how much did you calculate that you paid in rent, Fiona? I paid a hundred and four thousand. 
uh, over the last 11 years. That's that's conservatively calculated. It's probably give or take a few thousand, to be honest, on top of that. But um, what was amazing was people, uh, when I originally tweeted that out, started talking about their own, uh, how much they've paid in the last decade. And to be honest, that wasn't much comparative to what some people are paying. And I talked to one person who was renting on the south side of the city who's paying 1500 over 1500 euro a month mm. they've paid 190,000 euro in the past decade and they're paying uh over 1200 euro a month for childcare alone so when you think about that that's but, but what's I think what we really need to to make clear here is that this is the new norm this yeah. is not exceptional in like, any way if you're paying 1500 and you're right I live on the south side if, and I, I know the the more the, the rents being paid there I mean if you're living and paying 1500 euro in in rent per month the chances are you probably could service a mortgage I think almost certainly yeah I mean a part, another part of the uh, bank lending rules is that they don't like you paying more than 30% of your total income uh, off uh, off the mortgage per month because that seems to be unaffordable. Yeah. And yet we have a situation where uh, hundreds of thousands of people, I think the last census had almost just under 150,000 people renting, uh, oh no, sorry, apologies, that's the local authority number. Um, I think uh, it's, it's, it's 320,000 um, in Ireland renting, paying above a mortgage and then some, and they managed to keep a roof over their head and the vast majority of them. So if it's unaffordable for a mortgage, why is it not unaffordable for a renter? Have you uh, and your partner ever tried to get a mortgage? Um, well, actually, like many people during the lockdown, this is when I started thinking about it. This is where I, I, I ended up with my figure because um, I started looking to different lending rules. I went on to Daft. I saw that there was actually quite a few houses on the north side that are, are in lovely areas that are under €200,000 a year, or in total, not a year, um, and that were eminently affordable when you look at the mortgage calculator. When I went from the mortgage calculator onto can I qualify, in every case I didn't, uh, mostly for my case because of the income threshold, but it's, as I said, it's, it's a variety of, of barriers that exist on top of the deposit, on top of the threshold, on top of the 30% uh, of your income per month, um, you have to have a perfect a history of perfect savings, no arrears. Uh, generally speaking, no active loans outside of that. Um, I had a friend who got a 12-month um, mortgage approval taken out from under her there last month. Uh, Why? Well, they came back to her at the last point. Uh, she was literally at the final point before you sign off and get your keys. They told her she needed to get um, once again another um, surveyor in because the house was over 20 years old. She thought about it for a week because she already spent five grand on the kind of the bits and pieces that you need uh, in, in towards getting a mortgage. And before she could respond, they took the approval off of her. Um, I, it's, that's just the norm. But when you look at the uh, figures on, I mean, COVID, obviously the COVID crisis represents a particularly unusual situation but the banks have taken the opportunity to 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 stop drawdowns drawdowns from uh june compared to the year prior went from 10,157 drawdowns to 6,622 which is down a full third um and now there's a colloquial evidence it seems that if anyone has been in receipt of any covid payment which is in a serious amount of the country 
Um, it seems to be that the banks aren't going to talk to you for at least probably until after the crisis is finished. And uh, where, where, where do you see the future here, Fiona? What do you think is going on? Um, well, I think that we're entering into um, a real crisis. I think that the status quo right now is to try and keep on top of the pent-up demand in the housing crisis. But we need to be planning now for the significant future. If we have 3,000 people currently in private renting, renting there's 500,000 young people who are 16, 17, 18, living at home, according to the last uh, census, that will need to get onto the private rental market and beyond. We're nowhere close to that. I think that we need real rent controls. And that doesn't mean just stopping the rent from going up because the 4% per, per annum isn't helping. We need the ability to roll back rent. And that probably means looking at the Constitution because that's every time we talk about reducing rent, we're told, mm. well... You, well, you, you probably we would have because even, even people like Father Peter McVerry has, has said that if you want to do something like that, you probably would have to look at the Constitution because of the ownership of private property rights and all of that, you know. Exactly. Uh, but I think it's something that we need to start committing okay. towards doing. Uh, we need to start building not just social housing, but public housing on public land. And that includes providing options for affordable rents, uh, which exists throughout Europe as a standard. Um, our housing situation is really compared to even uh, hard-pressed uh, co- uh, economies throughout Europe, one of the worst and the most dysfunctional. And I think that, more importantly, renters need to start getting angry. We need to stop being resigned to the situation that, well, we just got to do what we got to do and we need to put pressure on the government to do something urgently and so that the next generation doesn't face what we face uh, now. Before, before I let you go, Fiona, and you're a member of the city council, the council, I'm sure, if I were to ask them, would give me a set of figures telling me how many houses came to completion last year, how many houses are in construction, are at planning stage, will come to completion. They can give me all the numbers uh, and, and they are building and opening new houses. Mm-hmm. Just not enough, you say. That's Well, that's it. I think it probably is true that comparative to other local authorities, Cork City Council isn't doing as bad um, as others. But that's a, as I said, it's a drop in the water. It's about what they're trying to do now is keep their heads above water. And I think what we really need to be doing is, is thinking about building a dam and then some. Um, and, and what we're saying where we have a few thousand houses being built at a time, we need to be going far beyond that. We need to be looking at city centre properties where there's dereliction. The council needs to be building up with higher density towards one and two bedroom houses for young people and as well as looking toward building, uh, you know, homes uh, and uh, family houses as well. All right, leave it there. Thank you very much. That's Councillor Fiona Ryan of Solidarity, uh, one of the people, thousands of people, who can't get a mortgage. She's paying rent. She's paying considerable amount of rent. But even with that rent, and even looking at the mortgage calculators on certain websites to say that, yes, she could afford to pay back a mortgage, they can't get one. And she's speaking on behalf of thousands, and we all know them, people who pay vast amounts of rent, crazy amount of rents every month. But if they go looking for a mortgage, which would be less of a payment per month, they won't get it.
Let's get some expertise next. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Cork songwriter John Spillane continues his now legendary Tabaras residency, playing the first Thursday of every month. The next show takes place online on Thursday, September 3rd. And for ticket and streaming details, check out more information at tabara.ie. Access all areas. Jenny Green and the RTE Concert Orchestra's Live at the Marquee show for this summer has been rescheduled for Friday, June 25th, 2021. Original tickets are still valid for the new date and it's just one of a growing number of Live at the Marquee shows that have found dates during next summer. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Now, Joey Sheen. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Is in the mortgage business, mymortgages.ie. Joey, are there a lot of mortgages being given out at the moment? Because anecdotally, we hear that there are. Good morning. Hi, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Um, firstly, I'd just like to say I can empathize with your um, counselor, Fiona, there. And that's a very frustrating situation where she feels like she's locked out and that the lenders won't deal with her. Um, however, PJ, I, I, we, we always, at mymortgages.ie, we have seven agencies with different banks, and we're soon signing up to an eighth agency. So while Fiona's experience with some of those banks uh, might, might not be successful, uh, we certainly have other banks that will look at, at an application like that. And I'd urge Fiona and anybody else in her situation to contact us at mymortgages.ie. Yeah. Um, we have some banks have no minimum income. Uh, one bank has 18,000 minimum income, one has 25,000. Yes, others do have higher incomes, but we do have banks open for business 
four people like Fiona and her partner um, and I'd urge her to contact me and if I can help her out I'd be only delighted um, EJ What um, seems to frustrate people a lot is, and particularly if you look at mortgages in so that around the south side or certain areas of the city anyway all over the place 1500 euro a month 2000 euro a month like if you're servicing that in terms of rent the chances are you could service a mortgage Absolutely. So one of the criteria for qualifying for a mortgage would be it's a multiple of your income. So your joint income, three and a half times that amount. So if a couple is earning 40 grand joint, they can borrow up to 140,000. The next parameter would be that they need to have a deposit, 10%, and then they need to show that they can repay the loan. That would be based on your current rental payments. So if somebody's paying 1,200 or 1,500 monthly rent at the moment, and if they want to borrow, that would service a loan of probably up to 250 or 300,000 of a, of a mortgage amount for stress testing purposes by showing proven repayment ability. Yeah, like if you can show a rent book that shows that you've been paying, we'll say for argument's sake, 1,500 euro a month for the last five years, that's got to carry some weight with a lender. Absolutely. So six months is what they'd look at. So once you can show it for a six-month period, um, you know, th- th- that that will will, will be, su- be sufficient. But it's interesting, during the pandemic, um, PJ, that people like Fiona, we've seen a plethora of inquiries of people. So some banks have kind of battened on the hatches in terms of lending to people who are on the wage subsidy scheme, mm. for example. So we're, we're getting literally a number, more than one call. We're getting two to three calls every single day from borrowers who were either approved with a bank or they're in the process of applying and they were told previously there'd be no problem and they've been let down by the bank because they're either on the wage subsidy or they're te- temporary reduced pay or something like that. So we're actually getting huge inquiries. We've had scores of inquiries in that category since the COVID yeah. pandemic. Like when, when a and bank decides to say, uh, well, we had approved you and that was fine, but now you're on a COVID payment. Sorry, we, we can't go through with it. Like, is there anything that can be done for them? Yes. So maybe not with that bank because some banks, they set their own credit policy and they're entitled to change their own credit policy. Um, obviously, they need to adhere to central bank rules and all of that but other banks have not battened down the hatches in the same way as others have. So we can get some people approved, approved in principle, even though they may be on the wage subsidy scheme at the moment. We can even get a loan offer issued, which means they can go sale agreed and purchase a property. And on a case-by-case basis, the bank may let them draw down those funds and complete the purchase, um, even though they're on a wage subsidy scheme. Now, I'm saying that they would generally need to be a stronger applicant. Um, if somebody's income or their employment is more more um, at risk, then they will find it more difficult, definitely, um, PJ. But there are options there. What I would urge anybody, come to us at mymortgages.ie or go to, go to a financial advisor, mortgage broker, get your advice. Even if you can't do it right now, let's set out a financial roadmap. Let's okay. make a plan. And maybe it's you know, maybe it's now, but maybe it's three months, six months, nine months down the road. But there are options. We are right. there to help. We, we, this is our business. You know, sure. if, some, if somebody can't get it, we'll get it elsewhere. Is there a little bit of a boom at the moment, a kind of a mini boom in advance of what a lot of people fear will be an economic nuclear winter after this pandemic? Well, what we're seeing, PJ, on the ground um, is that we've probably had, I don't know, 40, 50, 60 valuations done for various... Uh, loan offers and, and completions for clients in the last number of months. We haven't seen any valuation come in lower because of COVID. In fact, we're seeing prices sustain and in some locations possibly even increase. My own personal opinion on that, PJ, is that I think now, right at this moment, 
your family home has never been more relevant in that, you know, before we're all going to work, you're rushing out, you're coming home, you're dropping kids here and there. Maybe you're at home for two hours a day during the week and maybe you're longer at the weekends. All of a sudden, people are stuck at home 24-7, depending on their employment. So now they're saying, actually, you know, I'd like an extension or I'd like a garden or I'd like to move to a bigger house. Yeah. And they're prepared to invest in that. And maybe they only need one car instead of two. So we're seeing um, huge demand for, you know, a better house or a more spacious house and potentially in a more convenient location, close to parks and amenities and things like that. Um, so that, that kind we, of churn is, is, is going on. Is is there a fear though, Joey, before I let you go, is there a fear that if the economy completely tanks because of COVID-19, that credit will, will, will dry up and, and that the whole thing will come to a standstill worse than 2008? I don't think so. Um, I think that the issue now is such a macro issue in Ireland Europe and globally, everybody's in the same boat. I think that the central banks and the governments across the world will uh, bring incentives in, which to be fair to the government, they've brought in some excellent incentives to date. Um, if there's any risk of you know withdrawing those and, and the economy contracting or pausing, I, I think that they'll, they'll be, you know, they're looking at that very closely and I think that whatever needs to be done to continue um, you know the economy as as normal as possible. I think I think will be taken. Okay. Uh, so I, I don't see that risk at the moment. Um, you know I think in Cork as well we're very lucky. PJ, there's huge employment here. There's lots of multinational companies here. There's lots of lots of people you know working hard and and you know are earning well and um, you know so I'm, I'm not. I don't see a risk in Cork. Is, is my personal point. You know. Okay. Leave it there for today. Thank you very much. That's Joey Sheehan. From mymortgages.ie. 185715996. Some people stuck in this. Virgie says, I am in the very same situation as Fiona. I'm in South Cork. I pay a lot of rent. No chance of getting my own mortgage with my husband. When we last checked with our bank how much we'd qualify for, it was a joke. It's like a dead end. And to add to that, although the rents are high, the conditions aren't at the level where the money we get is value for money. And we pay a lot, but the houses are not great. Not properly insulated, they're mouldy, they're damp. So yes, it is a bad situation. Finbar says, PJ, we were told years ago via a city council mortgage application that we couldn't afford the repayments. They were 200 less a month than the rent we were paying. We're all sorted now, but it's ridiculous. Some of the rules are way too tight. Kieran on WhatsApp says, a house near Collins's barracks. A friend lived there 10 years ago, 990 euro a month. Now it's for rent for 2,300 yo-yos a month for rent. Wow. And Paul wanted me to ask Councillor Fiona Ryan, was she on the housing list? I don't know whether she is or not. I didn't get an opportunity to, to ask her that. Getting back to the cannabis, the cannabis meeting, for want of a better term, that was broken up by the armed response unit at the weekend. Uh, did all the stoners walk to the gathering or did any of them drive, says Brendan? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Right, loads and people got a COVID payment. People working in pubs and restaurants and hairdressers and shops and you name it, people got a COVID payment, and lots of other people got the COVID support, so they went back to work and their wage was subsidised by the government. But one particular group of workers got nothing. And there wouldn't have been a whole pile of work there for for them in the course of lockdown. Particularly when A, we weren't supposed to go out and certainly we weren't supposed to be around people we didn't know. 
that would be sex workers. There was nothing in it for them. So they set up the Sex Workers Alliance of Ireland and they were forced to crowdfund to get its members through the pandemic because they weren't eligible for a COVID payment. Old friend of the opinion line, in fact, I think she did her first ever radio interview on the show. Kate McGrew, how are you? Great, TJ. Nice to talk to you again. How are you? Uh, And to you. So there was nothing there for sex workers uh, throughout the pandemic. That's correct. Um, Since January alone, we had 160 new sex workers come to us for support. You know, the QUB research last year showed that Sex Workers Alliance was the leading organization that sex workers were contacting for support because we're the only sex worker-led organization ourselves. And of course, what we were discovering, what was being reflected back to us, is the challenge of um, sex workers having our work not recognized as an economic activity. Mm. And in this emergency setting, there's absolutely no safety net for us whatsoever. And I'm presuming that these would be sex workers, Kate, who run, shall we say, a legitimate business paying tax and paying stamp and all that. Do, Do you? Do they? Some do and some don't, PJ. And and the more we're able to work in a legal way, the more we'd be able to, to pay taxes and contribute back in that kind of way. Although, obviously, we contribute to society in so many ways. Mm. We are paying bills of all kinds of sorts and um, feeding families and putting ourselves through, through school via this work. So for, for the Department of Justice to, to, to say that um, because we don't, uh, we won't say, because it's untrue, that all sex work is inherently exploitative. We, um, yeah. for them to refuse let, us that let's funding... Go, let's go, I want to take that in, 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 in order. So one or two people, yes, I take sure. it, Kate, would have applied for the COVID payment when it became available, correct? Right. It was, and what it was really It was really challenging, that, um, and I think on the government side as well, because this is unprecedented, they were trying to figure out how to, um, how to best support everybody. So we were told, stay home, we'll flatten the curve, apply for everything. Um, and, and the main thing is people being able to, to stay home and not have to work. So we were having people apply wherever they could, and sometimes people were being were, were given payments. Sometimes they were then asked to give them back. Um, and um, we, now we were able to secure a line with somebody who was handling our applications sensitively for a supplementary welfare. But that was through a lot of um, a lot of work that took far too long during the entire lockdown and quarantine period. And that was based on one person being able to be sent sensitive about our applications and our need for privacy, as opposed to a policy, which was what we really needed, was policy with, with a low bar for, for people like us to be able to, to, to stay home and, and hope, help flatten the curve, which is what we are trying to do, yeah. why we did crowdfund this, to be able to give little bits of payments to people. We we're the only organization doing that. Now, now we've we've talked many times over the years, Kate, mm-hmm. and 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 mm-hmm. your your work, your work in, in in the sex industry, you consider to be uh, your your choice, your job, your career, just like a hairdresser, or a barman, or someone who manages a restaurant, or someone who drives a taxi. It's it's as legitimate a business as as any of those, and and you feel that you should be treated the same as anybody else. That's not happening. 
Absolutely. We, we need especially to be treated with respect and dignity because we are working in an industry that is uh, partially criminalized and completely stigmatized. So it's not to say that, that sex work is a job like any other. It's not to say that at all. But the more that we have legal avenues within the work, the more uh, we can be safe. And, um, and the more that there are viable alternatives to yeah. doing sex work at all, the more it's less likely that people that don't want to do the work or the people that bec- could become vulnerable to exploiters who take advantage of the quasi-legal status of this work, the better. I mean, the way that the law currently is, PJ, is that it's illegal to work with a friend for safety. Now, now, now there is um, a review of the law that's happening right now. Public submissions are due September 11th. And we're urging people to write in specifically sex workers. We're the key population. We need to be included in decision-making around policy around our lives. And the government needs to hear from us about why it's dangerous for us to not be able to work with friends, why it's dangerous for us to have our clients criminalized when when we need support. We're not reaching out for it because of this. Uh, currently, uh, and if my, my knowledge of, of the law may be a bit out of date, but currently it is legal for you or any one of your colleagues to sell me a sexual service, but it is illegal for me to buy it. But only if I work alone, you see. So it forces me to work alone, which but is... It, but it is illegal. It's legal for you... Well, work, it, it's legal for you to sell me a sexual service, but it's illegal for me to buy it. That's correct. And that, that presents a whole host of problems. But, but, but what I was getting at there, part of the problem is that it becomes illegal if I share a workspace with a friend, which many would like to do because it's, um, because it's safer. Of course, you want to have somebody else with you in your space. Then you'll be space. accused of brothel keeping, right? That's correct. And it, the, the law is purported to, to, to crack down on, you know, exploitative bosses. But overwhelmingly, what it has done is, is arrest sex workers themselves. So it was a very high profile case there last year of two women, two um, young migrant women, one of whom was pregnant, and they and, and the judge acknowledged nobody was profiting um, from their work. They weren't um, exploited themselves or exploiting uh, each other in any way. Um, one of the women was pregnant, but they were arrested for brothel keeping nonetheless and, and given originally nine-month jail sentences. So this is not how the law, you know, the the law certainly is not protecting vulnerable people and it's doing nothing to help um, address the fact and acknowledge the fact. It doesn't reflect back the fact that this is economic activity. We need legislation that recognizes that so that we can be as safe as possible so that we can help eradicate abuses that we see. Like part of the communication that we had with the Department of Justice was that they said they take their guidance from Mangarda Shiokana saying that prostitution is inherently intrinsically linked to trafficking. So well, there you see, there's, a, there's the let, thing, let Kate. I, 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 I talked... PJ, PJ, let me go on here. There was a conference um, that week about trafficking. So we said, please, as the people on the ground who are best placed to, to speak out about trafficking, if we can be safe to, can we come to this conference? Yes. And then they responded to us saying, oh, well, it's not about prostitution. It's about trafficking. So you see there's hypocrisy all over the place in our signals and our communication from the Department of Justice. And it's very dangerous for us. We would be, we would like to be able to, to speak out and report the worst instances of exploitation in every industry where there is 
um, exploitation, which are all of them, agriculture, domestic work. It's the workers themselves who are the, who are the tool, the best place people. And Angarda Shikana have told us themselves since this legislation, Intel for them has dried up because of this cr- increased criminalization of us. So it's not for the Department of Justice to make policy and decisions around funding based on ideology as opposed to outcomes. Is there a future for for the sex industry in, in the age of, of COVID-19, though? I mean, yeah. can you work safely? I mean, I mean, there is always a future for sex work. There's nowhere in the world that sex work doesn't occur. And so, uh, of course, we're trying to... Um, Part of the work that we are doing and having these daily conversations with workers, workers finding out can they do virtual work. For some people, that's not an option because it's a privacy issue for them, or they are living with a partner or with a family. So, um, of course, we we put out uh, harm reduction leaflets for street-based workers specifically, street-based workers who have seen an uptick in work, mind you, during all of this. And so, you know, we do have harm reduction guidances for people that are forced to continue to work because some are. This this is their work. There is no support for us. Well, 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 to, to whomever is out there. Uh, yeah. working in the industry one would hope that they can work safely and be protected as best as best as possible kate always good to catch up uh, thanks very much thanks again pj and people can reach out to us at info at sway.eu before september 11th to feed into this review of the law that's going okay. on thanks S- so much pj you're welcome S- swai.eu that's kate mcgrew 1850 so we're now on the road says tony to talking about sex workers being more accepted into society now personally i'm not one for it well then tony don't use a sex worker you know, if you don't want to be buying sex, don't buy it. But if Kate or her friends and colleagues want to sell it, let them sell it. The first thing that comes to mind about sex workers is they should find other work in the meantime, just like musicians were encouraged to do, says Jer. Says true, just true. Listen, some breaking news. We were only talking uh, this morning about New Zealand and, and how they've come through 100 days now without a community-transmitted case of COVID-19. As a news flash just come through from the city of Auckland. Auckland is gone back into lockdown, or going back into lockdown. They found one case. One case in Auckland. Slam! That seems to be how it's done. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Last couple of days of voting taking place at the moment. The Cork's 96 FM Best of Cork Awards. The draw, the winners will be announced on air this Friday. We're currently compiling your votes in our many, many, many categories. And we'll hit the button on the computer on Thursday night and the computer will tell us who the winners are. We want you to vote from the shortlists which are now available at www.96fm.ie. You might be looking, for example, at the best barbers. You might go to the Lancaster Barber, the Peaky Barbers, Topman Barbers, Brooklyn Barbers or Sportsman's Barbers Shop. Or for the best hairdresser, you might look at the Haven Hair Design Studio, the Fusion Hair Design, Honey Brown's Hair Salon, Sweetness Hair and Beauty of the Salon, 
in Ballincollig for the best restaurant. And this is always a hotly contested category. Bob's Bar and Restaurant, Scoozies, Eco's, Il Padrino and Luigi Malone's. And of course, with some of the bars open, uh, you get to sample them. The best bar list, the short list for the best bar. Clancy's of Cork, Murphy's Rock, Dwyer's of Cork, Healy's Bar in Kilcorny and the Angler Bar and Restaurant. All those categories and more available now at www.96fm.ie. Get in and vote for your favourite and we'll have the announcements on Friday. Voting closes Thursday at 12 noon. Best Cork Awards back for 2020 with Cork's 96 FM. 1857-15996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email for the show, opinion at 96fm.ie. Front page of the examiner this morning. I'd also seen this on social media and I couldn't believe, I really couldn't credit that anybody could write to someone and say what was said to Samantha. Samantha, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you today? Good. You've been on the show before, I think. Uh, yeah, as, I think uh, as an advocate a few years for, ago. Yes, it would have been. You've got to know, you've two young, is it young boys or, or girls? I have uh, a teenage boy who's autistic, an eight-year-old who's autistic, and okay. then a little girl who's five who has a rare genetic syndrome. Okay. Tell people about the note you got. I received an anonymous letter yesterday through the post using a vague address which isn't my own so I don't think they actually know me well if they did they wouldn't have written the letter basically telling me that I'm stupid that I caused my own children to have autism probably by drinking and smoking during my pregnancy and now I have a daughter who's in pain and suffering that I should have aborted what? yeah it's pretty much the gist of it do you know who sent this? absolutely not there's nobody in my life that I know that would be in my life if they had that amount of hate, that amount of hatred. And how did this lunatic find you? I did an article about two weeks, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, with the Irish Independent, just stating my concerns about returning to school because I'm genuinely concerned that kids with additional needs um, in special schools and in mainstream schools have not been included in the guidelines. Yeah. And I'm genuinely concerned because if my daughter was to contract the virus, if she survived it, it would massively detriment her health. And that's an if she survived it, she would have a high likelihood of not surviving it. Right. So she's effectively been cocooning since day one with you, has she? Uh, effectively, she has been. She hasn't seen the outside of the house or the car since the mid mid March. Right. And um, it's only her siblings and me who have been leaving the house. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about 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 her, about her difference, Samantha. How does it how does it affect her? Ava has something called Wolf Hirschhorn syndrome. It's a deletion on one of her chromosomes that affects her in the form of an epilepsy. She has a growth restriction, so she's five, but she's the size of a three year old. Okay. She has low muscle tone, so she can't stand or walk. She has an intellectual disability, a hearing impairment, a vision impairment and developmental delay. So even though she's five, she only behaves like a six-month-old baby. Oh, poor little thing. And is she 24-hour care, more or less? She is. She's 24-hour care. She's completely dependent on us, but she is the queen of our house. She absolutely yeah. rules the roost. Yeah. She, see, she doesn't know that life is supposed to be different for her because she's been born this way. Right. So she is absolutely full she, of so Can she communicate joy. with you, Samantha? 
she communicates in her own way. She can't talk, but she's well able to get her point across and she's well able to tell us that we're doing it wrong. And, and of course, you, you can understand her because moms always can. Yes. So can her brothers, because she absolutely gives brilliant. them a roar as well. <laughs> Which is fantastic. And uh, you have a happy little family. Yeah, they're extremely happy. They're extremely happy, loved, accepted. They have their own bubble of friends, and they have social lives, and they do things like any other kid would. They, they're not miserable. They're not in pain. They're not suffering in any way, shape, or form. Mm. The only suffering they have is when they have people who spews this kind of hatred. Absolutely. And, and the two lads, whereabouts on the spectrum are they? No um, two cases are the same, as we know. It's, it's very hard to explain, because they're very different people. Yeah. So one is has one kind of traits where he's very logical thinking and he would have to work very hard to get to cope with life and navigate life. Mm. And then the other chap is in a completely different area where he's extremely sociable and is an absolute charmer, but then put him in the education system and he really struggles. Yeah. Yeah. When you know what they say about autistic people, you know, you've met one autistic person, you've met one, one autistic person. person. That's it. That's it. So I, I speak have to a my, very, very yeah. household. Uh, yeah. And, 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 a, and a household full of love and happiness, I think, until this letter. Like, what do you do when you, how did you feel when you got that? I initially, I was a bit curious because the address that was used, it wouldn't ordinarily be used. So I was a bit like, okay, this seems a bit dodged. But I opened them and I read the letter and my stomach just dropped because you know there's a level of ignorance and you know that there's an opinion out there that people with disabilities aren't seen as equals because if they were, they would be treated as equals and they're not. And you know there's an ignorance surrounding autism, but we don't let it into our home. So it was a bit sickening at first and then it kind of makes me angry because this person doesn't know me. They don't know my family. They've taken a snapshot of me trying to get better supports for my children and twisted it into this hate-filled vitriol. Mm. There was a card with the letter. Yeah, there was a second envelope with a card offering me prayers. (laughs) I was like, great, that's brilliant. I don't need prayers. I need people to start petitioning for better rights. Do you reckon it came from the same sender? I'm not 100% sure. They... um, other people have received these cards from the, around the country as well. They've both passed through the Athlone Mail Centre. I, I live in Kildare, so most of my mail passes through Port Leash. I wouldn't know anybody that comes via right. the Athlone Mail Centre. Right. And, the, and the handwriting on the... The handwriting is different, but they both arrived at the exact same day from right. the exact same mail centre. So if they are separate, it's a massive coincidence... And if they are different people, then it feels a bit coordinated. Yeah, I suppose there's not a lot you can do, really. It's not like something you can hand to the guards, or can you? You can. I went to the guards and reported it yesterday. Okay. How did they respond? Um, I was actually nervous reporting it because I didn't think they'd take it seriously because it's just a letter, but they took it seriously. Um, He took copies of the letter, he took copies of the envelope, and they're going to try and trace it through the postal system to see if there's any way they can trace it. Because sending malicious letters like that, it's it's an offence. You cannot send letters like that to people. It's harassment is what it is. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's full of hatred. Yeah. Yeah, That's sick. That's that's absolutely sick. Well, well, just regard school, come back for a second, with regard to getting back to school, uh, your your, your little girl, Ava, the, the, the physical health issues for her are huge, of course. What about the two lads? Are they, are they looking forward to getting back? They're looking forward because they've really missed their friends because I know there's this misnomer that autistic people aren't sociable. That's and that's nonsense. exactly it. It's a misnomer. Absolute so they've nonsense. missed their friends. They've yeah. missed 
their schedule, their routine. They've missed interaction with people because we, we haven't been able to do the same level of interaction that they used to because of the needs of their sister. Because we, we have to put her first because it's her health and life. Yes, of course. So um, they are missing it. If the guards come back to you with anything with regard to, to this horrible post that you received, um, let us know, will you? I will, of course. Thanks very much. Good to talk to you. That's Samantha in regards to, to, to all the family. What a horrible thing to get in the post. What an absolutely sick, twisted, hateful thing to receive in the post. Caller says there are often hidden codes on the envelopes and perhaps on the stamps that might help with tracing. Is that a thing called phosphor code? I don't know. I know. But look, the guards have taken it seriously because it's a form of harassment. So we'll see where it goes. 1850-715-996. Has anyone in Cork got anything like that? I sincerely hope not. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Oh. The Big Drive Home, weekdays from four. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure to join me all this week on The Big Drive Home, where I'll be teaming up with Jemison Distillery Middleton, giving you the chance to win an experienced tour every day. And that's not all. One lucky winner will be upgraded to a luxury two-night break at the five-star Castle Marta Resort. For all the details, join me weekdays from four on Cork's 96FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM. Something you notice more and more of as you drive around, particularly new housing estates, would be more and more solar panels. I was looking in around uh, Janeville that new estate on the outskirts of Carrigaline. We were just driving around there looking at the houses a weekend or two ago and I remarked to the Queen Bee how many solar panels are there. There's hundreds of them, absolutely hundreds of them. There's been a change in the planning law now that means you can actually end up using your solar panel to make a little bit of money back to not only cancel out your energy bill but maybe even make a profit from the thing. Now years ago I would have said solar panels... In Ireland, for the 25 days of sun we get a year, forget it like. But of course, everything has changed, not just the law, but the technology too. Shane Moran is from Swift Energy. Shane, good morning to you. Good morning, how are you doing? Good. A lot has changed, not just the law, which we'll get to in a second, but the technology too. You don't need beautiful sunshine like we've had the last few days to, to be able to use a panel. No, you don't. And it's a very relevant point where that, you know, you're trying to get people to make the transition over to renewable energy. And the first thing that they're saying, well, would you look out the window and look at the weather? How am I meant to get any sort of return on this thing? But the thing that you always have to highlight is that solar PV is suitable to Ireland due to the fact that it works on cloudy days. Now, it's not daylight or any of that sort of um, cardiology. It's just diffuse sunlight, that the sunlight that actually manages to make its way through the clouds on a cloudy day. Now, they won't operate as well, but they, de- they will go down to about 30 40% of their max output on a cloudy day. Right. I've just said there, for example, if we take Germany, for instance, who are one of the world's leading solar power producers, and we in Ireland receive the same levels of yearly sunlight to parts of Germany, and the key is here that the systems will generate free green energy on cloudy days. And 
we have surpassed the point now of asking questions with suitable to Ireland. The technology is now widely de- deployed across the domestic and commercial industry, and there's lots of, you know, information from that that we can show people that what they actually do on a yearly basis. And and as you just pointed out there, that is due to, you know, advancements in technology, you know, the solar panels actually getting more efficient. So I suppose the, the short answer is the solar, solar panels are suitable to Ireland's climate. Now, the idea that we could not only pay our own bills with them, but, but make some money out of it. Like the initial cost of solar panels... It was always high. Has it come down? It has come down. It has come down. It's come down a lot, and it has recently, in the last approximately just over a year, they have been supported now by an SEI-funded uh, grant to, to homeowners. So that has supported the financial uh, return on the solar. And, you know, it's, it's solar and the, it's battery storage as well is that it's becoming very popular. And I suppose just to touch on battery storage would be is that, say, if you mounted solar panels on your roof and you're at work, uh, the solar panels will just generate electricity uh, and hot water, you know, during the day. But if you have a battery, the battery will take the charge. And then when you come home, the battery will power the house. And that's proven very popular now as well. Crikey. So, like, how much... How much power would I get from a, a bright sunny day like today where I've left the house and my wife, we're both gone out of the house by half eight, quarter to nine and the sun will be shining all day into the evening, hopefully. Like, how long will the battery last after that? Well, the batteries, there's like, there's a big difference in batteries, like on the market and stuff like that. You know, you really do feel for customers like that. Like on a day-to-day basis, we meet customers that really want to go with solar. They're they're behind the green initiative. They want to act environmentally responsible, but they're getting told all these different things, loads of different brands, and you know it's the first time they're ever you know becoming familiar with it. So there is a lot of different standard of batteries on the market, and you know you'd always say to the customers to do their research and to you know get a couple of quotes and stuff like that. But the battery, I can only speak from my own perspective, really like, and the batteries that we're putting in have a life cycle of 20 years, but they will actually last longer than 20 years. They'll, they'll usually last about 25 years, but yeah. the manufacturers are just basically, they're warranting them for 10 years, and they're saying that their life cycle yeah. is a minimum of 10. And before I get or, to sorry, the, a minimum of 20, sorry. Okay. And before I get to the, the planning change that allows you maybe to make money now, like, for example, a fully charged battery, I mean, in, in, in an average house, like, will that light the lights for the evening? Will it run the telly? Will, can you cook an electric cooker on it? What can you do with it? You can do everything with it in the evenings. You can, it'll run, like your lights and your TV and all that sort of stuff is just if you were to take, for example, the average home, you know, all that stuff would only maybe amount to like 1,500 watts. And I know people might understand that, but the basis around that is your lights, your TV, all that sort of stuff is, you know, we've no problem doing that at all. Um, the, the battery would cover that. The only is when you knock on big cookers and stuff like that. That, that has a bigger would, draw. It has a little bit of a bigger draw, so it will probably do your lights, your TV, everything like that, and it will probably do about 60 or 70% of the contribution Crazy. towards the, the cooker. That's, that's great technology. Now, the planning change, how, how yeah. is that of benefit? Well, the restri- restricting the deployment of roof mounted solar PV to date has been the need for planning permission for solar panels on anything above 12 metres squared of installed solar panels. 
and or more than half the roof space, which you can imagine inside in cities and stuff like that, with people with small roof spaces, that is a little bit of a that's a bit of an issue. So included in the Green Party's proposal for government is to remove the planning restrictions on roof-mounted solar PV, which will open the door to customers to turn their rooftops into power plants that will right. power their homes. It's, like my house you know, is south-facing now, and so I could literally put one side of my house that faces into the sun, cover the whole lot in solar panels now because of the change. Well, you could if you wanted to. But the one thing that I would say to people, it's definitely not just about putting solar panels on a roof because you have to take into consideration that if you put too many solar panels up, the only thing is that these solar panels will ramp up during the day. You'll create too much power and you, you won't be able to use that. So that's the, that's the thing from any solar provider is to get a bespoke system to get in yeah. there, understand what you're doing, how often you're there, what, look at your past generation and design a system around that. But therein is, and it comes the idea where I could actually sell it back into the system. You can, but that is not yet. That, that's, that's coming down the line, and it's, it, it hasn't yet been matured, like the government, I suppose, would have liked to act on it a little bit faster, yeah. but in fairness to them, they have a bit on their plate. At the moment yeah, but but how, how would it work, Shane, in theory, that I'd have my my solar panels and, and they, they charge my battery and I can use my power to turn on my lights and watch my Netflix and all that kind of thing but I've still got something in reserve how do I, how do I send that back up the line and, and maybe get paid for it? Um, well, what ha- well, for well, it? well, what will happen is next year there will be a, it's, co- it's actually called a feed-in tariff now, the way the solar PV works is complete. It's very, very simple in, its, in the way that it's actually wired, is that it generates power, it's fed into your distribution board, it'll satisfy the power consumption of your house first, be it the, what the house is actually, you know, through your sockets, your TV and everything, then the excess from that will go into your battery, and if there's anything left over, it'll simply just go straight out into the grid. Now, what ESB are doing at the moment is, you probably heard about it, they're putting in smart meters for people around the country. And they're bio-directional smart meters. What they're allowing then is they're actually measuring the electricity coming in and going out. Today, they've only got electricity that can monitor the stuff that you're actually using so they can charge you. But what they're doing is is that they're putting in these smart meters which are bio-directional and you can monitor the amount of electricity that you're exporting and then they're going to give you a value on that. So anything that you've left over from your house will go out into the grid and they will pay you a, a value for that. Now, that value is not yet made public, but it's common. Okay. Now, here's the, here's the hard question. Um, well, one of them. If I put an array of panels on the roof of my house and I start putting in my battery and the whole thing, about how long will it take my investment, which is considerable, let's be fair, to repay itself or even think about it? Yeah, well, I suppose with the like the thing is is the, I suppose I'll start first like with Swift with Swift Energy we put in batteries that have really really long cycle lives like this we're talking about investments and an investment is a thing that doesn't that stands the test of time and it doesn't cost you any money over that time to protect your investment. Now, if you want to get to that point, they do. There is a little bit of a, a, a considerable investment around them. Now, the payback on a battery storage system and a solar, a solar panel system and a battery storage system can be up to 10 or 11 years. 
and on a solar on just a solar system on its own without a battery storage system we so can get take that, that long to, to pay for itself it takes that long to pay for itself like it, that's where the technology is sitting at at the, at the moment in right. the market um you know we put these things are it's a different story that if you try and put in a cheaper system yeah. to get your return on investment down and then the thing stops working after 12 years then that's Eugene has just like, noted though he's asked the question like the guarantee on the battery is only 10 years but if it, if the battery system is going to take 10 years to pay for itself yeah but it it has got a it's got a life cycle of 20 years and we can prove that okay. we prove that like they're very very robust batteries like we can we can prove that from batteries that are in already in the UK yeah. the batteries that we're putting in are the, they're called a, that Swift Energy are putting in are they're a market leader in Germany they're called the Sun and Battery they're one of the best out okay. there and the reason that we're putting them in is for this is that they last the test of time and it's not because like we're we, we're not in this for the because we couldn't get any other job we're in this because we believe in the technology and we're trying to support this transition if we're putting in batteries, we're saying they're lasting twenty years, and then they're breaking down. Like we're only, we're only kind of, we're only you know fooling I mean? ourselves as our old teacher Exa- used to tell exactly. us. Exactly, and we're going to, we're going to actually stop the transition because people are going to lose faith in it. All right. Well, we'll see where it goes. It's interesting. Technology is changing all the time. Thanks very much. That's uh, Shane Moran from Swift Energy. Uh, Solar heating of water for baths and showers, you see that all over Europe for donkey's years. But now the idea that you could not only generate all your power and store your electricity in a battery and run your house on a battery in the evening when it's dark. Is anybody doing that already? Anybody got solar panels? Would you get them? Would you uh, recommend them? Would you not recommend them? If not, why not? Give me a call, 1850-715-996. Why, why, like, solar panels, they were, a, they were a novelty one time. They're going up on a lot of new houses now. Uh, would you recommend them? Would you not? I know my buddy, Owen Kelly, off Facebook or Instagram, people were following him, building his own house out in the country. The whole house is self-sufficient and battery-operated and solar-powered and the whole lot. He loves it. But what's your experience? Let us know. 1850-715-996. Cork's 96FM now brings you even more music choice. Streaming online. Listen to the hit mix for fresh new music. Fresh new music. And the all-new Cork's 96FM Fit Mix. Soundtrack for your workout. Your workout. Download our app. Listen on your smart speaker. Turn up the volume. Or go to 96fm.ie. This is Court's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 0833 969696. On Court's 96FM. We talked way to go. Uh, to Samantha about her horrible, horrible hate mail that she had received in the last few days and drew to mind another incident. I was, I was bothered to read this over the last few days. If you're a fan of Cork City FC, uh, they're not having the best of times at the moment. It's a rough, torrid old season for Cork City uh, and that happens. And if they survive relegation, it'll be a fabulous day's work to get them off the bottom and try to keep them off the bottom. 
A lot of people have given up already, but there's a few games left. You'd never know. And maybe Declan will get to that in a minute. But the chairman of Cork City Football Club, Declan Carey, has hit out at some really horrible social media posts about the younger players at Cork City. And I read some of it. And to be honest with you, soccer is soccer. And people say things about soccer players all the time. But some of the stuff said about the Cork City players in the last few days and weeks has been just... It's it's been below the belt, uh, Declan. Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. It's not thanks fair. For, thanks for having me on. Delighted. It's not fair to have young players who are just going out there doing their best in a tough old season anyway to have that kind of nastiness thrown at them. Yeah, that's it, PJ. Look, um, I I was asked to do an interview there with with the Echo um, over towards the end of last week and, and this just came up in conversation and you know it, it was all about you know the fact that we don't have fans inside the stadium anymore and you know what about the you know some of the criticism that was coming from some quarters and you know it just kind of sparked it off in my mind some, uh, as you said there you've read some of the comments yourself uh, from around various channels on social media whether it be Instagram, Twitter or Facebook um, and also you know players do receive private messages as well um, which are pretty like, so- nasty so- as well. soccer, yeah, it, soccer banter can be colourful to say the yeah, least yeah it can of right? course yeah, yeah. And, like, and, I got a lot certain- of my own buddies um, yeah. you know when Liverpool and Man United were uh, duking it out over the years and Liverpool winning the league this year now I see a lot of funny posts from some of my own buddies yeah. um, you know it, it's all part and parcel of the game but you know, some look, of this has been very nasty yeah, yeah, it is. And look, PJ, it, to be honest, the start of this season, you know, we had to fully rebuild. Um, you know, it, it was touch and go whether we could even make it to the season uh, the first yeah. week, so, such was the financial difficulties we had. But look, we were able to get over that and we started the rebuilding process and we promoted a lot of our academy players who play under Colin Healy, who's an absolute legend of the game. And yeah. he's been able to develop these guys to get them ready for the first team. And uh, Neil Fenden, our, our first team manager who came in last September, you know, he recruited young players from the UK, from Dublin, um, all across Ireland and um, signed a few more players who were from Cork, but um, based up the country and had, had been playing for, for other teams. And, you know, we, we went with the mantra of, you know, a city rising and we were hoping to play a 36 game season. And we would hope that, yeah, we'd have a, a difficult start to the season. And, you know, we started off in our first five games, they're playing Rovers and, and Dundalk on a Friday, Monday away from home. And, we kind of thought, you know, look, we'll get through this initial period. The team will 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 start to gel, and mm. the lads will get to know each other, and you know, and they'll, and they'll gain experience. Happened. And and yeah, and and look, a successful season for us would have been to, you know, just solidify our place in in the division, and and um and then go to next year where we would hopefully push on again. Mm. Um and and it was a multi-year plan that we had with with Neil when he came in last September, and that's that's what we were going for. And is, then look, obviously, the is COVID nineteen. It, it absolutely is, PJ. Yeah, look, there's, um, there, there's, I think it's 11, 12 games remaining. Um, we had a very positive result there away to Waterford um, last Saturday. I was there myself, um, again, behind closed doors. So it's a very strange atmosphere being at a, a Cork City away game in, in almost sheer silence. But um, yeah, look, the team battled hard. Again, it was a, a very young team. We have a lot of players out injured and Neil himself as well. We did back him in the transfer window and he brought in, you know, three forward players from the UK. But due to, you know, government and FAI guidelines, they have to quarantine for, for two weeks. So they're not allowed, you know, be around the training ground. They're not allowed um be at, at games. And so they won't be available. So it's not like a case now where you can just sign a player and throw them in on a Friday evening. You know, they have to yeah. quarantine. And it's a very, uh, you know, a very different landscape to, to the way the football world back, was back in February and March, you know. So... Yeah. 
we have to we have to deal with that. And so there's, a, look, there's enough yeah. there's enough games left there to to save the club from relegation. Absolutely, yeah. Look, we're 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 joint uh, bottom at the moment with with Finn Harps, and there's a couple of teams close to us as well. And um, you know, we're in the cup tonight now against Longford, and again, that's behind closed doors. So that's a break away from the league, and hopefully, a, a win there can can give the lads some confidence. Well, and well, well, good luck, uh, good luck with that, Declan. I, yeah, I, I have also always said, and look, I'm a late developer to sport of, of any kind but I've, I've always said if you support a club of any kind it's fine to support them on the great days but you show yourself as a supporter on the not so great days Absolutely BJ yeah look we've had we've had great times over the last few years you know won trophies and you know we had great players at uh, at, the, at the club and look unfortunately finances dictate uh, you know that we we had to change things this year that absolutely had to be done to keep the club afloat and keep our heads above water and look yeah look I, i've seen varying types of of feedback from supporters you know you get the supporters who are always positive no matter what happens um you get constructive criticism from those that you know just want to give their thoughts on the game and that's fully warranted yeah. and then you get the absolute you know poison that yeah. it, that some fans direct towards and, and towards that's players the, and, and that's the best well, yeah. well, here's hoping that stops and that people cop, pe- cop themselves on and you know what with enough games left to rescue it i hope to goodness that that it that it works out for the club Absolutely, PJ. Yeah, look, I think um, that that support. Whether you know, it, 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 I, I hope people will just second guess if they if they're typing a message on social media, maybe turn it slightly into a, into a positive. Give All the right. lads some encouragement. They do see it. You know, if you pass them in the streets, these are our own lads. At the end of the day, you know, they're they're living in Cork. They're 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 trying to get their professional football career started in Cork and you know they, they deserve a, a bit of support bit I think now for the rest of the season and that can be that extra 5-10% that they need to, to get them over the line in a, in a game you know Sound man. So, um, Declan yeah. thanks very much that's Declan Declan Carey the chairman of Cork City Football Club and <laughs> trust me lads as a supporter of, of late Orient <laughs> I know more about clubs going down than clubs going up and the supporter sticks with him through thick and thin. 1850-715-996. We have spoken to people during the pandemic who are single uh, and we're finding it a little bit challenging. It's a tough old time to be single, apart from the fact of being alone and, and lonesome. Uh, you know, it's just when you're locked in and you can't go out and even now the dating scene is, is in bits because there's only the odd place open and now we have a curfew and all of that. Um, there's a new book has come out from uh, an author called Penelope Winters. Um, she's written a book called Finding a Guy Like Gilbert, a Dating Manifesto, which is a fascinating title. Penelope joins me. Penelope, hi, how are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Good, good, good. Now, how much of this, this is your own, is it fictional or is it based on your own experience? It's based on my own experience and um, I wrote it after, um, obviously, I had um, I had gotten married and had my first uh, child. But it's based on my experience of coming from a place of despair um, you know, a feeling that I would never um, find um, a, a nice man to, to get into a relationship with. And I outlined the steps that I took to ready myself 
for a good relationship. So it's practical, but then it's also um, deals a lot with, um, you know, expectation and how you, you tend to get in life what you expect. So it's all about cultivating an attitude of expectancy and kind of, um, you know, and all the steps like meditation, affirmation and all the things you can do from home you know, to ready yourself, especially in a time like this where you can't necessarily get out, yeah. you know, to pubs, to meet people. Yeah. You, 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 the, the opening lines of, of the notes I have here, at age 33, plagued by severe OCD, Penelope Winters felt she was doomed to remain single forever. At 33. Mm-hmm. Difficult yeah. prospect to deal with. Yeah, but I suppose um, for me, the first thing I had to deal with was my um, attitude. And I um, was, you know, I, I really had come to despair of ever, you know, meeting someone. And so I had to work. Why, to why make had you myself, despaired of meeting someone? Oh, just because I suppose, you know, bad, bad experiences and um, disappointments and instead of sort of integrating them you know into um, my experience of life I had taken them all personally and a lot of people do you know have insecurities and um, a lot of women do arrive in their 30s and feel as if that you know they're the past experiences are a reflection of them yeah how, how much know? of that was down to the the, the ocd that you you, you bla- did you blame yourself for your um, well no um ocd was was part of it i think one of the steps i recommend in the book is to deal with all of the issues that you have so a lot of women um and men these days have issues with eating and food or maybe they drink too much for me it was was food i was an obsessive gym goer and that sort of came from the OCD but I had to sort of go to therapy and deal with that because I think if you're you know if you're tied up if you're um, if you're completely giving yourself over to an addiction or to some other um, you know something outside of yourself you won't um, find relationships so for me I was so obsessed with healthy eating that I limited my social interaction and um, I was always tense and worrying about food would I put on weight I'd have to go to the gym the next day so that's just an, that's just an example that was one of the barriers yeah. or the blocks in you, my way that I had, had to, to set that with. stuff aside there's an, exactly. there's an old thing where they say you know you have to love yourself before someone else can love yeah. you yeah was that was that the case yeah absolutely you know I know it sounds trite but it is it is true and um you know, a lot of the, the cartoons in the book sort of deal with the issues and dilemmas, um, you know, where, you know, and these are all things that kind of cross my mind, you know, where you're, you're making decisions, you're thinking, gosh, which will, which will actually help me more getting, you know, false eyelashes or getting lip filler or some sort of cosmetic procedure or actually going to therapy. And, um, that's another step sort of I recommend is that you have to realise that there's nothing more attractive um, than somebody who is comfortable in their own skin and you can try and change um, everything about yourself, maintain a particular weight but unless you have respect for yourself and you feel comfortable in your own skin, you'll find it hard to attract somebody who's a, an authentic match for you. Yeah, so you had to get to a point in life where you were happy in that skin of yours. Oh, totally, yeah. And nobody, you know, it's an ongoing process. We all, you know, that's part of the human condition is that, you know, we we, we, we continue to have insecurities, you mm. know. 
Um, but um, it, it's about sort of not being so hard on ourselves and, you know, practicing meditation and affirmations and other daily practices that can bring us to what, what, a What kind point. of affirmations? Like the, mm-hmm. What kind of things would you tell yourself in front of the mirror of the morning? Like, Well, I mean, I never used, I never used the mirror, but I joined a Louise Hay class and she um, was one of the early, one of the earliest self-help gurus. Um, and she was all about affirmations. So for me, I, I used to write them out. So I would take three that were particularly relevant to my life or issues that I was dealing with. Um, and I would write them out 10 times, three times a day. So it's a big commitment, but it's, it's an enjoyable part of the process because you actually feel as if you're doing something positive. You may not be out, as, as we say, you know, in bars all the time. You may not have the social opportunities, but you're kind of ready, readying yourself. So you would say something in the present tense as if it has already happened because there's no point saying, oh, I will meet a wonderful man in time. You have to sort of implant the seed, plant the seed mm. in your subconscious mind and sounds, feel it. Sounds a bit so, like your own version of the secret. Well, it is. I mean, and I do... I do um, reference, you know, all of those, um, the law of attraction, because that's what the secret is, the law of attraction, and all of the, you know, gurus like Wayne Dyer and, you know, and and the importance of actually... actually believing and feeling excited first. And I always use the analogy of Christmas. Like, you may be in September, but you can get excited about Christmas now because you know it's coming without becoming desperate. You don't have to keep checking, you know, unless you're a child. When is Christmas coming? And it's the same with the summer holiday. Now, I know it's different nowadays with COVID, but in, in years gone by, if you booked your holiday for June, you didn't have to keep ringing the travel agent every two days or the, the, yeah. the airport to see if I have to say, I tend to get through the year myself like that. With whatever the year is going to bring, let it bring it. But there's this is happening in June, this is happening in September, this is mm-hmm. happening, like you say, Christmas time. I tend to break the year up that way, and that's mm-hmm. not dissimilar to what you did. Yeah, and, and the important thing is. But, you know, with a lot of, um, we'll say with The Secret, which is a very good book in its own right, and some of the books on, you know, around the law of attraction is that it emphasise the importance of visualising things, you know, that you want to come about in your life. Mm. But what Wayne Dyer and other other um, sort of gurus of this, um, you know, of the law of attraction would say that it's really, really important that you not only think about what you want to manifest, but that you feel it too. So the same as I said there in September, you're getting excited about Christmas. Instead of being desperate, which only, you know, brings you further away from what you want, I advocate that you actually get excited now. So when you're doing your affirmations or your meditation, just that you be fully expected that this is going to happen. And we all sort of know in life that people tend to get what they expect. And we know people who, um, you know, who are never, you know, um, out of a relationship because they naturally expect it. Looking looking back over it all now and having laid out that sort of way of doing things, from the point where you were joining a class to try to change something to the fact yeah. that you're now happily married, what changed? Yeah. Uh, in what in what changed about me or what no, changed? Yeah, what changed in general? Something had to change because you weren't you weren't having much luck. Yes. Well, I think it was 
I, I outlined the 20 steps in the book and it was the combination of all of them. It's sort of an integrated um, approach. Is that I just worked on my mindset so that I went from, we'll say, my early 30s genuinely believing that I would never find anyone because of a few disappointments, you know, in my 20s. And I went from, you know, doing my meditations, my affirmations, um, and and also sort of ha- doing therapy and having a look at myself and why I, you know, why I was attracted had, to... Had you um, given up on yourself men. Yeah, I had. So that's why I started. I started with the Louise Hay class, and that was the first step. And that sort of, I, I sort of um, regenerated a bit of hope there. And as I went on with all the other processes and the, all the other sort of forms of healing, I got to a place where I actually saw for the first time in my life, I, I think I actually am worthy of love and I think that I can attract it in and even if that's only for a few minutes a day you feel that positive friend, friend of mine has an expression huge. friend of mine has an expression in which the, I got out of my own way did you have to did you have to get out of your own way absolutely yeah absolutely because if the, as you say there yeah your attitude is everything and oftentimes the the negative um um, self-fulfilling prophecy the belief that I'm not good enough and I'll never be able to do this was was you know, ruling everything. It was ruling how I behaved, how I interacted with people, whether or not I took a chance or went out and, you know, to a social yeah. event. And when you look you back know? on it now, with the book written and, and a happy yeah. marriage and all of that, what would mm-hmm. you say to 30-something, 33-year-old Penelope? Yeah. What would you say to her now? Um, I would say, if, if I were going back to, to Penelope in her early 30s, I would say to her, you know, you can you can do this. You may feel the future is bleak, but if you um, sort of even for a few minutes, a few minutes a day, feel hope again and feel expectancy, and that it's all going to work out. That that is the best way, rather than you know getting your you know getting your hair done, going to get your hair you know makeup professionally applied before going out on a date. Get comfortable with yourself and, okay. and get expectant, and, and that and would then, be a much better way. Will get comfortable with you. Yes, I'll, exactly. I'll leave it there and wish you well with it. That's Penelope Winters, the author of a new book called Finding a Guy Like Gilbert, a Dating Manifesto. It may be of use to some of our listeners. We're getting some beautiful, clear skies in the evening uh, at the moment, and we'd be hoping for another one tonight when we might get to see shooting stars Francis McCarthy is at Blackrock Observatory Francis, hi. Hi there, how are you doing? This Good. fine, this is... gorgeous sunny yeah. day and hopefully that's going to be a clear night, fingers oh, crossed Yes, because last evening it was getting dull in the afternoon, then it cleared up and it last did. evening was gorgeous Now I stuck my nose out to see what shooting stars I could see, but I live on Cork Harbour and there's quite a few street lights and I was like do I want to slog up the hill and head out into the golf course? Do I want to go down to the tennis courts and have a look? And I mm. kind of went, you know, the peak of the shower is still t- tonight. Tonight. So what will we see and what okay. are we looking at? So we're looking at little streaks of light across the sky, the shooting stars. Okay? So they're not stars. They're little bits of space dust from where a comet once went by. So... We're on a planet, we're going around the sun. Here's the Earth doing laps of the sun. Okay, so mm-hmm. here we go. Every year you go, oh, done another lap, have cake, you're sorted. A comet is a different object that is 
generally out at the edges of the solar system, but occasionally they zip by, swoop around the sun, and head back out again. The path that they take crosses the path that the Earth takes. When we cross the path, which we do at the same time every year, we get the little bit of comet stuff, and we, the Earth goes into this comet stuff. It's little tiny, tiny, tiny little specks, you know. And is this little burning junk from the yeah, comet's tail? Yeah, yeah, exactly what it is. So the shooting stars are comet bits, tiny comet bits, that go into the Earth's atmosphere and, and they up. burn up. They burn so up. they're better after midnight. Right. But after midnight tonight, the moon will be up. So you've got to kind of balance... What's, you know, what's the best time and what direction should we look in, assuming well, we have a clear sky? You can see them anywhere in the sky. Oh. If you trace them back, they will appear to have come from the constellation of Perseus. So they're called the Perseid meteors. So right. the meteors are named for where they appear to come in the sky. Yeah. Perseus is visible throughout the night. It's vaguely north-ish. Right. So I'd be looking more to the north than I would be to so the south. So in terms of, we you know, the sun, the sun goes so down sun in the goes west. The sun goes down in the west, okay? And we're still enough in the summer that it's kind of more northwesty. Yeah. So where I am, I know Cork is north of me. So I know where I need to look. I know that east is where I see the sun rising, so I know which side of the house I'm looking to see east. Mm. I want to look kind of to the left of the east or to the right of the west where the sun goes down. One way you can tell it, looking okay, kind of is north, are you Jupiter looking kind of tonight, southwest or, nor, or northwest? The sun is setting kind of northwest. Right. Okay, western side of the sky, but a little bit to the north of the west, just because we're in the summertime. So there'll be a little bit of a glow to the northwest after sunset. Brilliant. You know, it, hasn't, it doesn't get fully, fully dark. Jupiter is in the south. So last night, even though I didn't see any shooting stars, I had a look at Jupiter and went, oh, you very pretty planet. Aren't you gorgeous and bright? It's huge, actually. I've seen it, yeah. Isn't it? Like, it's such a bright, bright, bright object in the sky. And that, last night, I was looking out at about half 11. Jupiter was south of me. So I was was going, hello, Jupiter, you're there. I want to see some shooting stars. So I looked away from Jupiter. So that's one way to judge it. If you go out about half 11... The really, really crazy bright thing in the south is Jupiter, and you want to be looking the other way. Okay, all right. Listen, we can watch it and look for it. Oh, and it'll hopefully be we'll have a clear Let me night. know what you see. We will indeed, Francis. Thanks very much, Francis McCarthy from Blackrock Castle Observatory. The Perseid meteor shower. Look out for it tonight, and tell us about it in the morning, just after nine. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.